This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Jalen Hurts and his threat with his legs, I think it's really going to open up the running game, and I can see the Eagles running the ball really effectively in this game. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what kind of called runs there are for Jalen. Zone reads, I'm sure there'll be some of those. You're going to see two backup quarterbacks. We're a lot alike. It'll be very interesting to see where it goes. Too bad no fans are going to be down there, but uh, it is what it is. So what what you got in the show tonight other than that? We'll talk a lot about about that game, the game coming up on Sunday. We'll uh, talk about the, the Dave Dombrowski hire, which I personally am not a fan of. I think it's pretty much the exact opposite of what the Phillies need to do. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that and a few other things as well. So it should yeah, be a fun show. I, I, he's a good guy, and, and, and he's done some good things. But the lack of an analytical background, I don't think he's going to change his spots. Phillies have developed this huge analytics department, and now you hire a guy who's not really going to use it. I don't think you can change your spots, but he's 64 He's a good general manager. I'm just not sure the fit's there, but I wish the Phillies well. They just laid off a bunch of people Thanksgiving, whatever, and now they pay him $20 million over four years. So we'll see what Tom Middleton does with that. Make sure you listen to Tom Kelly. I will be as I go back to Avalon tonight. Have a great show, Tommy. Dan Wilson, great job, my man. First shift producing at WIP by himself, and I think he did a tremendous job. Thank you very much, Dan. First half of the show produced by Anthony Foley. Thanks to my guest tonight, Dave Zangaro. I'll be back after the NFL next week on Saturday night. Look forward to seeing you and hearing from you. You're the best. We challenge each other, but Philly has fans like no others. Have a great night, everybody. Sports Radio 94 WIP, and happy holidays. Our time is 201. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning. Uh, with you till 6 a.m. Plenty of stuff to get to uh, throughout the course of the show tonight. We will uh, get to the Phillies a little later on. And their uh, big hire of Dave Dombrowski um, as their new president of baseball operations. Uh, it was with the Red Sox, Tigers, a veteran baseball guy. And, you know, I, I, I'm not a Dave Dombrowski expert, but I can tell you, He's not the right guy for this job. Um, And, you know, I I think for certain jobs around Major League Baseball, um, he could be effective. But I I don't think this is the right fit for Dave Dombrowski right now. So we'll get to that later on um, in in more detail as to why I feel that way. Um, We'll get to the Sixers as these James Harden for Ben Simmons rumors are heating up again. And, you know, Mark Stein saying that if James Harden does get dealt, he believes it's going to be the Sixers. Um, they fit. I mean, they're, they're, 
as far as natural partners go, uh, I think it would be the fit for Houston, the trade that Houston would want to make. They're not going to get a better player back in any kind of a deal uh, than Ben Simmons. They're not. Whether they do a deal with Brooklyn or, you know, Miami, uh, Milwaukee, whatever they're going to get back, the best player they are going to get in return is Ben Simmons. And I, you know, I am very conflicted on this. So we'll get to that later on as well. Um, But we will start with the Eagles, obviously, as uh, the Eagles host the Saints on Sunday afternoon, another 4 o'clock game, which I love, 425 uh, is is tremendous time for a football game. Um, and the Eagles host the Saints on Sunday afternoon. Uh, and, you know, it's the first time I feel like I've been excited to watch the Eagles play in, I mean, probably since week one. Uh, the most excited I've been to see them play, considering how boring they've been, how monotonous it's been, how just awful. It has been to watch this offense week after week after week do nothing, uh, not move the ball, not score points. It, 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 it's, it's felt like a chore, as I said to Jolly during the crossover. It's felt like a job more than it's felt like enjoyment. And it's exciting again. And it's exciting again because Jalen Hurts is slated to make his first career start. Um, and, you know, whether you like Carson Wentz or not, and, you know, this has been debated about all year long, the amount of blame that everybody within the organization bears. How much blame for this season goes on the shoulders of Howie Roseman? And the roster that he has put together, especially on the offensive side of the football and the deficiencies on the offensive line and the issues at receiver and another just terribly missed draft pick where you're taking a guy like Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, who might be the rookie of the year in the entire league. Whether you put the majority of the blame on Doug Peterson and his play calling, what he has done or what he has not done to assist Carson Wentz, to get him out of this slump that he has been in this season. Uh, the, The usage of certain personnel, like Alshon Jeffrey, and why he is out on the field playing more snaps than Travis Fulgham. Why Miles Sanders isn't getting more touches. Uh, whether the Eagles should be running the ball more, and whether Doug should be shouldering the majority of the blame, or whether it should go on Carson Wentz. And, and, you know, is his play what is dragging down the offense? But no matter how you feel about it as regards to Carson, whether you're a fan of his, critic, whatever, the offense was terrible. And with Carson at quarterback, this offense was not getting any better and was not going to get any better. It was not going to improve. It was not going to progress. It it was... The the Eagles have been so stagnant on that side of the ball for six weeks now that there was no justification for leaving Carson Wentz out on the football field. 
And I think we can all agree on that, even if you're a Carson fan, even if you think the organization or Doug have done wrong by him. I don't think he can argue the decision that's been made. Because the Eagles needed a spark. They got it last week when they replaced Carson Wentz with Jalen Hurts, and now they need to see if that can be replicated. And they need to see what Jalen Hurts has. And this is more than just trying to win a few football games at the end of the year. And, I mean, that is part of it. As much as we think the season's over, and uh, I'm not going to, you know, come on and and start going through NFC East permutations and what can possibly happen um, because, yeah, I don't think this team is going to the playoffs. And that's not what the rest of the season is about for me anymore. But, you know, you do got to look at it from – that perspective where if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, they're looking at it and they're going to think they have a chance until they're mathematically eliminated. And they're not mathematically eliminated yet. They still have an opportunity. And if they were going to get any sort of a kick, any sort of a way to win a few football games, a significant change needed to be made. And this was the significant change that needed to be made. But it's much less about the the micro and the rest of this year and much more about the macro and how all of this looks moving forward. And that's really why you got to play Jalen Hurts. You know, you need to find out, can Jalen Hurts be your guy? I mean, I don't think you're going to find that out after four regular season games at the end of the year. I mean, uh, we should know better than anybody the fact that four regular season games at the end of a season can be extremely deceptive. They were last year. We look back at Carson Wentz's season last year, and I talked about it a lot the other night, that a lot of the signs of this regression were there in 2019. They were there the bulk of the year. They were just covered up by what was done at the end of the season. But Carson Wentz prior to the Eagles going to Miami last year, he had had two games against New England and against Seattle at home that looked very reminiscent of the way he's played this season. So the signs of regression were there, and we were fooled by the end of last year. We can't allow ourselves to get fooled by the end of this year if Jalen Hurts comes out and lights lights the world on fire. Now, I don't expect that to happen, but at least it would give you an indication of could he be your guy. You know, can he be a viable NFL starter? Can he be a viable NFL backup? Where whether you bring him back with Carson next year, you bring him back without Carson to compete with somebody else, whether that's a veteran or a guy you draft in the first round. You need to find out and evaluate what Jalen Hurts is so you have a better idea of what you need to do with that position moving forward. And playing him will go a long way to figuring that out. And that part of it is exciting to me. To see how Jalen Hurts might play. This is a tough task. This is a very good New Orleans defense that he is going up against on Sunday afternoon. They are the top-ranked defense in the NFL. They have a fearsome defensive line led by Cam Jordan. They have good linebackers. They're good on the back end. They got Lattimore on the outside. I don't need to tell you about Malcolm. We'll get to Malcolm a little bit um, 
later on in the hour here. But this is a very uh, a very talented defense, a very well-coached defense, and a very smart defense. And it is a very tall task for Jalen Hurts coming right off the bat. But I want to know what do you expect to see from Jalen Hurts on Sunday afternoon? What do you want to see from Jalen Hurts on Sunday afternoon? Um, I'll start by telling you what I want to see. I don't want to see a conservative Jalen Hurts in this game. Now, I'm not obviously saying to go out and be reckless and throw into triple coverage and try all of these things that are going to put you in position to turn the ball over and put your team in a position to lose the football game. But I don't want Jalen Hurts playing this game scared. I want him to do the things that he did in the second half last week in Green Bay where he's taking shots to Jalen Rager down the sideline, where he's using his legs to get out of the pocket. Uh, I want to see him read the defense quick, get rid of the ball quickly, which is something that Carson Wentz didn't do, and I think further exposed the issues that you had on the offensive line. Um, I want to see him reading the defense and making smart decisions, whether that is throwing a throwing the ball away sometimes, staying out of negative plays, but maintaining that aggressiveness. And, you know, I, 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 they're the kinds of things that I would like to see from Jalen Hurts in his first game. Um, and I said it to Paul during the crossover, and you might think I'm crazy here, and maybe I am. And I have not picked the Eagles very much this season. I'm trying to think the last time I did pick them to win the game. I think it was the game in New York. That That's the last time I picked the Eagles to win, um, and it has uh, not been something that I've done very often this year. But I have a feeling the Eagles are going to win this game. Um, I think the defense will play well against Taysom Hill. I know the Eagles have struggled with quarterbacks who can run. Uh, you know, quarterback runs have been something that has plagued them at times this year. But for this particular matchup, I think it's a I think it's a good matchup for the Eagles. Taysom Hill, I don't believe, is an NFL quality quarterback. I just don't. He's won the last few games. One of them was against Denver in a game where the Broncos were playing without a quarterback. Last week in Atlanta, New Orleans won um, by double digits, but Taysom Hill had several passes in that game that could have been intercepted that were not. If the Eagles can get pressure, and if the Eagles can uh, stop the run game, which which they did a pretty good job of last week up until Aaron Jones broke the big one at the end to kind of salt that game away, if you can force Taysom Hill into a position where he needs to beat you with his arm I think the Eagles will be in a good position to win this football game. I think they're going to come out with emotion. I think they're going to come out with energy. Most of the things that you get when you see a quarterback change. And, you know, some of this stuff is, is you know, taking a leap of faith, obviously. But this is not abnormal where a team does come out with more energy and more enthusiasm when they make a change like this. 
it wakes everybody up. And what I have seen from this team beyond just their lack of talent the last couple weeks is a team that desperately needed an infusion of emotion. I think they will get that. I think Jalen Hurts is going to play well. Uh, I do. Um, You know, you look at his pedigree, you look at his experience, uh, obviously not much at the NFL level, but this is a guy who has done a lot in college. This is a guy who who has played in in a ton of big games, and does that always translate to the NFL? No, of course not. We've seen a ton of players, quarterbacks, who have been winners in college, and it not translate to the NFL. But I think Jalen Hurts, at least for this game, will play well. I think the Eagles' offense will move. I think their running game will be benefited from having a quarterback with that kind of ability to use his legs. I think it will his scrambling ability will allow the Eagles' receivers, who we know aren't ultra-talented, to... to have extra time to find their way open. And if Jalen Hurts can can make a few throws, pick up some yardage with his legs, which I feel like he will do, I think the Eagles are going to find a way to move the ball, score points, defense will play well. I think they win this game. I'm picking the Eagles 24-20. Um, am I crazy? I, I very well may be, and I might come back on tomorrow and look like an idiot. Um, but I am picking the Eagles in this game. Well, I bet it. Of course not. Uh but it, it's it's just one of those gut feelings. And my gut feeling this week is that the Eagles will find a way to beat the Saints uh, and Jalen Hurts will get his first NFL victory. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Um, Aaron, I see you there. Aaron wants to talk about the Phillies. We will talk to Aaron when we get back. Um, and, and talk a little bit about the Phillies as well throughout the course of the night. And if you want to get in um, on the Phillies situation with Dave Dombrowski, uh, obviously the Eagles, Jalen Hurts making his first start, uh, the James Harden, Ben Simmons rumors, whatever you want to chime in on, uh, you're welcome to throughout the course of the show tonight. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Dan Wilson producing the program tonight. Uh, Dan, in his first full uh, producing shift by himself, how's it going so far, Dan? How are you feeling about things so far? Things are great. Got two hours down a jolly. Now we got you uh, for up until 6 o'clock. There you go. I'm having a lot of fun. Today's been a pretty good day. Been all revved up for today and forever when you, you look at my WIP profile. Like, you know how they have Major League Baseball debut? Today will be right. my WIP debut. There you go. Well, it's going better than mine did. I I, I debuted as a producer, I, I think it was a long time ago. I think 2009, perhaps, but okay. I, I screwed something up right away. I was, it was Well, terrible. knock on wood, I still got three and a half hours to go here, but so far, so good. Yeah, so far, so good. Uh, doing a good job. So, uh, Dan will join me later on, um, and Dan will join me throughout the course of the show, but uh, as you know, we do our four o'clock pick segment, so we'll do that. Usually, 
usually I have uh, gambling Kyle with me. Uh, Kyle's always got a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, bets in the fire. Are you a big gambling guy? I'm not a big – I have a lot of friends who are big gamblers. I am not a big gambler myself. I find it interesting. Like, I find the idea of it interesting, like what the point spread is. And I think it's funny when there's, like, a last-second touchdown that means nothing to the game but affects the point spread or something like that. Right. But, like, a bunch of my friends last night – I don't know if you saw any of the Villanova game against Georgetown. I didn't. A lot of my friends, like, at halftime, Villanova played horribly, picked Georgetown – plus 12 and a half and Villanova gets some late free throws and makes it 13 and I'm like cracking up at their expense it's not like I had Villanova right but it's just funny to watch them get mad about it yeah I mean I don't like to lose so I, I you know I, I don't really uh bet too much but I like looking at the lines and doing picks and stuff um and I, I don't need any bets tomorrow I got the Eagles I got my fantasy playoffs so I got enough to worry about how many fantasy leagues like, in? like uh, I'm in four I'm in two the playoffs in two and I have a buy in my really big league, uh, but my other big league, I'm I'm in a playoff game later today. So. I'm in a dynasty league, and I there squeezed in the playoffs last week. I needed someone else to lose and for me to win. I got it. So now tomorrow, although I have McCaffrey, and once again, does not look like he's going to play. There you go. So it's kind of been a drag. I'm like, if I could get him back, I would be better than my record suggests, but still can't get him. So I'm just holding on. Right. So, yeah, it, it should be a fantasy playoff starting up. Uh, this week for everybody, so a little extra incentive uh, to watch all the games. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, talking Eagles, and if you want to get in on the Phillies, uh, you're welcome to. Um, because I, I want to talk about this Dave Dombrowski thing. We have some sound later on from a guy that Dombrowski used to work with with the Marlins. Um, that that is is some pretty good sound that we will uh, get to a little later in the show. Let's uh, start off talking Phillies with Aaron and Winwood. What's up, Aaron? Hey, Tom. How are you doing tonight? Not bad, man. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I just wanted to talk about the JT Real Muto contract mm-hmm. that everyone in Philly has been wondering about. I personally might be the only one who doesn't want him pers- because um, I think that he's going to cost too much money and it's just not worth it and we should fill that slot and we should use that money unlike relief pitchers like Trevor Rosenthal, maybe. Just wondering what you had the what you thought. No, Aaron, I, I think it's a legitimate point, and uh, you know, I, 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 everybody, you know, is just screaming, sign JT, sign JT. Um, now, if John Middleton was willing to sign JT and then spend the money necessary to fix the other problems on the team, then yeah, I'd be all for it. But if it's if it is sign JT Real Muto and do nothing else or address the pitching staff and, you know, help the bullpen and and sign a Bauer um, and, you know, sign a replacement-level catcher, I, I think there is definitely merit to go in that direction. Yeah, I totally agree. I I know a lot of Phillies fans aren't the biggest Andrew Knapp supporters, but I would honestly not mind if he's the starting catcher next no, year. I, and, and he can't be an everyday guy, Aaron. I'm I'm fine with Nappy playing, you know, 45 games a year, but he's not he's not an everyday catcher. Um, his performance last season actually surprised me as well as probably a lot of other fans. But if we could find someone to platoon with him and maybe spend the other money on relief pitchers, I think that would be the best scenario. And there's also other money going to like Vince Velasquez that we could have saved by cutting or like by non-tendering him, which I'm not sure why we didn't do that either. Yeah, no, no, it, it's 
it's you know they they're not ready to give up on Velasquez. I guess maybe they they feel like they don't really have any other options. But uh, Aaron, what do you feel about the Dombrowski hire? Were you were you pleased with that decision? Um, I felt it came out of nowhere, and I honestly didn't know who we were going to go with. But I definitely, after seeing it, did not agree with the decision. I just feel that. He's not the guy we need. We need someone who can build a farm, and he has not proven he can do that. And even when he has a farm, he just kind of like trades the house for one big player. And if that doesn't pay out or pan out, you're just kind of screwed in the long term. Right. No, I agree, Aaron. I appreciate the call. Yeah, we'll get to this sound from from David Sampson a little later on. David Sampson used to be the uh, team president. Uh, for the Miami Marlins, well, then the Florida Marlins, but um, he was the president while Dombrowski was the GM in the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, Samson has some interesting things to say about Dombrowski and why he's not a great fit for this job. And, and a lot of it has to do with that reason. that Dave Dombrowski is not the kind of guy you bring in for this type of, of, of rebuild, this type of situation. You know, he's the kind of guy to get you over the hump. And this is a team that, I mean, couldn't make the playoffs in, in a year where eight National League teams made the playoffs. This isn't a team anywhere close to getting over the hump. This is a team that's still in the midst of a rebuild, a rebuild that failed. And I don't really get the reasoning for this hire at this time. It doesn't seem to make sense to me. 215-592-9494. Uh, let's go to John and Mulca Hill. Let's talk about the Eagles. What's up, John? Hey, TK. How you doing? Not bad. How are you? All right. Um, I called for the Eagles, but can can I make a quick comment yeah, you on can, the Phillies? Yeah, sure. You can talk about both. Okay, so the Phillies, I think Dombrowski might see the value in JT. You have the best catcher in the league, and you're going to let him walk away. I don't think he's going to do that. Well, yeah, I mean, possibly not, John, but it's going to come down to the money that he has to spend, and that's not really his call. Like, Middleton's the one who's no. letting him – no, it is, I mean, it's Middleton's money. You know, he's going to, the one who's going to decide how and, much he and, can spend. And the fact that New York is signing McCann makes it much better. They should sign him tomorrow. The JT Real Muto should be signed tomorrow. Uh, but for, for, for what kind of money, though, John? Are you spending – I don't care what it is. He's the best ca- – uh, if they don't have him, they go backwards. It's as simple as that. Now, w- John, what would you prefer, though? Would you prefer them to sign Real Muto and basically do nothing else with the team? Not bring back Didi, not bring back, uh, you know, not add to the starting pitching well, staff or anything or yeah. the bullpen? Or would you rather, you know, allocate that money elsewhere and, and let I, JT go? I would love to have Didi. I was assuming Didi was already gone. So Well, yeah, he I, probably is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't like what they're doing altogether, mm-hmm. but I think this guy might come in and, and have value on one of the most important positions on the field. Mm-hmm. But wait, but I called for the Eagles. Sure. So I called Jalovitz earlier, and luckily your producer let me get on again because, as usual, he cut me off because I disagree with him. Oh, that's um, a, no, no shots at Jalo here, John. No, no shots. I'm not going to take a shot at Jalo. I got, I got you. I got you. Okay. So I'm looking at this transition as if tomorrow is a tipping point. And why I say that, and he didn't let me finish. <laughs> Go um, ahead, John. I'll let you finish. Okay. So it's been, we've heard all this all year that 
you know, the, the line is patchwork. The receivers can't get open. Everybody's hurt. And I hear all these stories, okay? So if this Jalen Hurts comes in, and let's just, for instance, say he wins two of these four games. I don't care if it's, you know, whatever. If he plays well. So this is the tipping point, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Um, it's either that the team is bad and both Wentz and Hurts fail, that means the team is bad. If Hurts comes in and does better than Wentz, then it's not a team issue, it's a quarterback issue. If he can do well for, say, two of these four games and win them, Wentz was not going to win them. So then it's not a team issue, it's a quarterback issue. Mm-hmm. And this is what I was trying to get across earlier when I was on the radio, that these four games are gigantic for the Eagles. Yeah, no, no, I hear you, John. I, I did not cut you off. I think your phone cut off there. But, um, no, they're important. I will disagree in, in one aspect of this, that I don't think – I think these four games and playing Jalen Hurts – can give you some more clarity, certainly, on what's gone wrong. Because for this offense to perform the way they performed is in no way acceptable. And, you know, Jason Kelsey said it earlier this week that it's not one guy, it's on everybody. That is certainly true, um, but there are definitely different percentages of blame to go around. And I think we'll get more clarity on that that being said, I don't think we can say definitively. You know, I mean, if the Eagles come out and Jalen Hurts uh, plays so well that the and the Eagles have like a top five offense, then I think then you can have a little clarity. I don't expect that to happen. Um, but you know, if if they look better with Jalen Hurts, uh, I think you can certainly look at it as as Carson deserves more of the blame. But there's uh, the Eagles shouldn't be making. I don't think grand decisions off these last four games. Like they shouldn't be deciding what's going to shape the future of their franchise for the next decade based off these next four games. Like they can use them as information combined with what they've seen in previous years with what they've seen in the previous 12 games. But if the Eagles mindset is right now, we're going to bring back Carson Wentz and we are going to try to fix Carson Wentz. Um, next year and that's honestly at this point the way they feel and what they feel is best for their organization you know if Jalen Hurts plays somewhat well over the next four games they shouldn't just scrap that plan and vice versa if the Eagles feel like Carson Wentz is broken and that it's never going to work for him in Philadelphia regardless what happens if Jalen Hurts doesn't play that well um that shouldn't make them say, oh, we have to keep Carson because you could end up drafting in the top five and and getting a quarterback. So they got to use these last four games and what they see from Jalen Hurts and, and combine it with all the other information that they already have. But you can't make every decision based off the last four games. It'll certainly be informative. It will certainly go, I think, a long way to the team understanding their issues offensively and and how they're going to fix them because, let's face it, most of the issues are offensive. Um, 
you know, you look at the defense, I think the defense has pretty much been exactly what you expected the defense to be, right around the middle of the league, something like that. You know, they're not great. They're not awful. They're they're a perfectly average defense. Um, but you got to figure out what's going wrong offensively, um, whether it's the play call, whether it's the roster, whether it's the quarterback. Certainly, all those aspects deserve a certain level of blame. Um, but you got to figure out where the bulk of that blame lies and uh, figure out how to fix that this offseason. Uh, 215-592-9494. Let's get Weave up here. What's up, Weave? Yo, man. Yo. Glad you got to me, man, when you did. Well, um, of course. Yo, you're, you're the Weave, man. That's right. And I got a big following down here. I, 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 I know you do, you, Weave. You're a popular guy. Yo, that you, I'm building up a big fan base down here in Elkton, Maryland. Are you? Yo, managers, man, Coach James and Coach um, Jamil and um, all those guys, man, they're we're starting to follow WIP, and um, it's different people. It's like Ravens fans, everybody. We've have as yeah. have has anybody asked you for your autograph yet? Uh, yeah, I had really? a couple guys come in there. One guy, I, his name is Chris Ruiz. I want to give him a shout-out. Okay. I talked to him today. He said, I heard you on WIP. This is the second time I talked to him. But um, my the thing that you said about Jalen Hurts, about the Eagles winning that game, I, I'm completely on board. Tell your producer, oh, no. the Eagles are going to win that game. Um, and the other caller that called in, when he said it wasn't a team problem, it, it, you know, it, it was a quarterback problem. It's not a quarterback problem, and I, I like the way that um, I like the way that um, you know, coach handled that. You know, I mean, he he waited. He he let Hurts. I mean, uh, he let Hurts go out there, and he let him play two games that he probably shouldn't have played. But this kid, I, I I I believe in this kid, man. This kid is talented, man. So you're you're down with the change weave. You think it was time to bench Carson and give Jalen an opportunity here? I thought they should have benched him two games ago. I agree. You know what I mean? Yeah, I but, think I thought at halftime of the Cleveland game was when it should have happened. And 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 I would be very disappointed if he's not our coach next year. I really would. And 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 Wentz, I like Wentz too. You know, I always like Wentz. But I just think that the offense, the the players they got are just not suited for Wentz's style, and Wentz is not a drop-back quarterback. He's not a drop-back quarterback, and that's where he gets into trouble because he's liable. You know what I mean? I mean, he he, he, he right now, he, he's, not, he's not a scrambling quarterback either. But this kid, I swear, I, I, I just thought that, you know, they, they have the weapons you know, the little bit of weapons they got, they mm-hmm. could have drafted better. But uh, I think they got enough talent around him that, you know, I, one thing I don't agree with what mm-hmm. you said, do not make him a scrambling quarterback. Let's Here's, where, here's how I think we can win. Run the ball. Of course. Protect this guy. Yeah, Run well, the ball. Protect this guy. Don't put him in those situations where – you know, he's, he's got to scramble all the time. Well, you know no, I, mean? I, I got you, and I appreciate the call. I'd say that was one of Weave's more coherent phone calls. I think that was that was a pretty 
we've stayed on track. Sometimes he can he can fly off the handle a little bit, um, but I thought we've stayed pretty pretty well on track there. But Jalen Hurts, the use of his legs is is not I don't think a bad thing. It's not. I mean, we saw it last week at the end of the Green Bay game. Um, you know, it's something else that the defense needs to account for, and it's one of the things with Carson that he's lost. And I don't know if it is a physical thing. I don't know if it's a mental thing. But Carson Wentz has stopped using his legs. He stopped, you know, moving out of the pocket, which even in his rookie year, that was something I thought he was good at, was was deciding when to take off with the football, when to get out of the pocket. You know, this isn't a good offensive line. There, There's no doubt about that. But Carson didn't help them. He didn't make it any better when he's holding the ball forever and he's not moving out of traffic and he's not navigating the pocket. Um, and he saw Jalen Hurts buying the same offensive line come out and do those things and play with a lot more poise and the offensive line looked a lot better. So I, I think Jalen Hurts moving will help. I think it'll keep the defense on their heels a lot more. I think it'll help in the run game where I would expect, you know, a lot of zone read, a lot of that kind of stuff where you just have to keep that. It gives the defense something else they need to account for because you can't just assume that the ball is going to be handed off, that Jalen hurts could keep it, that he could go around the corner and that could be a big play. So, um, I think that's a part of, of of his game that the Eagles should certainly utilize, um, and and let Jalen Hurts make make plays with his legs uh, to try to keep that defense um, on their heels a little bit, and it would be uh, very beneficial as far as keeping the pass rush off him as well. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, um, when we get back. Uh, I want to let you hear uh, a little, little bit of sound um, from Jalen Hurts' former coach, uh, from Doug, Kelsey, uh, and Jalen himself. And I, I need to address a controversy that involved Jalen Hurts this week that, honestly, I, I couldn't believe it was a controversy. It was so stupid. So we will, uh, we'll get to that when we uh, return um, on the other side of the break here. Open lines if you want to get in, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Um, with you until 6 a.m. I'll be back on tomorrow and Monday night as well. Uh, and I'm supposed to be on Wednesday night. I guess Wednesday night could be challenging as far as getting to work is concerned. We're supposed to get like a foot of snow or something like that. You see that, Dan? I did, yeah, foot of wow. snow. Wow, it, it's There's various different models depending on who you look at. Obviously, we'll know as this week progresses. But right. I mean, it will affect people who work here, obviously, more so than anything else. But 
I guess this is the year to have snow because most people aren't really going out anyway. Right. I mean, I, it used to be easy. I used to be the guy who lived in the city, so I would be the guy who would fill in for people when they couldn't get in. Love the snow shift. But now I don't live in the city, so I could, uh, you know, be having trouble getting in. I drive a little Hyundai Elantra, so, uh, you know, if I, if it's foot of snow, I, I don't know if I'm getting to work Wednesday night, so I'll have to figure that one out. It, Get in early. I don't, yeah. You'll see a forecast soon enough. Yeah, I'll have to, figure it out. Yeah, I'll have to figure that one out. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. But real quick before we get back to the phones here, I want to play some sound for you. Uh, you know, as we look to Jalen Hurts and how he is going to play and what to expect. Um, you know, you look back and and this is a guy who is an accomplished player and had. A lot of success in college, and one of the you know guys he played for the most uh, the college coach that I'd say is held in the highest regard of anybody, which is Nick Saban, and he played at Alabama. Now, if you're not familiar with Jalen Hurts' story, played at Alabama, had a ton of success, um, went toe to toe in a national championship game with Deshaun Watson, uh, lost at the end, but played great and, and matched Deshaun Watson. Punch for punch. Um, next year, plays Georgia in the championship game. Doesn't play well in the first half. Gets benched. Tua comes in. Alabama wins that game. Um, following year, he's the backup. Stays at Alabama. Uh, is the good soldier. Then Tua goes down in the SEC championship game. Um, comes in and wins that game for Alabama. And then in in his final year, transfers to Oklahoma and had probably his best year as a passer. Uh and got them to the college football playoff before they were beaten by that juggernaut LSU in the uh, college football playoff. But um, a very impressive career and a very interesting, uh, a very impressive guy is Jalen Hurts. And here was his former coach, Nick Saban, uh, just on Jalen Hurts as a person. The guy's got great character. Uh, He's as fine a person as we've ever had in the program. Uh, He's a very good leader. Uh, He's a hard worker. Uh, He's well-liked by his teammates. Um, winning was important to him, and he wanted to do whatever he had to do to, you know, try to help his team have a chance to win. And, um, you know, I think he probably went through a much more difficult circumstance here um, in terms of being 26-2 and two or whatever he was as a starter um, and somebody else starting in his place. And then he had to take that person's place in the SEC championship game and go in and win the game. Uh, and come from behind, you know, to do it. Uh, so uh, he's been in a lot of tough circumstances, and he was very supportive uh, when he was the guy. He was supportive of the guy behind him. When that guy became the man, he was very supportive of him when he had to sit behind him. And he was uh, also worked really hard uh, in the backup role so that he could improve and get better so that he would have a chance to play in the NFL someday. And he really took advantage of that. So when he went to Oklahoma, I thought he was a better passer and really did a lot of things really, really well. So um, this is as good a person, and I feel bad for you all in Philadelphia if you haven't had a chance to meet him uh, because he's a guy that's really easy to fall in love with, that's for sure, because he's a great person. He's got a great family. And, you know, Jalen Hurts is a guy who's had – a lot of a lot of success at the collegiate level, and it's been through a lot. And I think that's got that has him uniquely equipped for this kind of situation. Where you know, remember when Jalen Hurts was drafted? 
people were worried about him coming into this situation uh, where he would be kind of uh, a focus, maybe unnecessarily so, as a guy in a position where, you know, he's stepping into a role as a, a backup that's going to get a lot of attention. He doesn't seem to be phased by it at all. And, you know, when you're the quarterback of Alabama, starter or the backup or, or being benched like he was, I think it uniquely equips you for this kind of situation um, and and how he's going to handle it. And going up against his Saints defense is obviously a tall task for any young quarterback. Um, this is a very talented front. They have a good secondary. They're pretty much strong across the board and have a good defensive coordinator in Dennis Allen. Um, and, you know, the guy who Jason Kelsey is going to be working closely with on Sunday, trying to get the protections right and all this stuff, is Jason Kelsey. Here's Jason Kelsey on Jalen Hurts facing this Saints defense. You know, you can't just go in there with a complete new offense. You know, you can't you can't have everybody running new plays, including a brand-new quarterback running new plays that nobody's that familiar with. So I don't think it's going to be as drastic as – maybe people might think it is, at least especially, uh, you know, against New Orleans. So there'll be some new wrinkles and there'll be some, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Jalen's going to, you know, he's got some good legs on him. So he's going to make some plays and, and be mobile regardless of what's called, I'm sure. And that that's what the Eagles are going to need. And I think it is, uh, uh, this is why I, I kind of disagree with some people who would say this is a bad week to play Jalen Hurts. I think it's actually a perfect week to play Jalen Hurts. Um, not a ton of expectations for the Eagles in this game. You obviously are going to need a quarterback who can make plays with his legs, considering the struggles your offenses have had, your offense has had in recent weeks. And I think it's a good opportunity to get his feet wet um, and see what you can do. And I think he's going to have success. Um, and here is Jalen Hurts uh, from a little later in the week talking about going up against this difficult Saints defense. They have a lot of great players. Uh, fast, physical football team, um, and they play really hard. So uh, we're, we're playing against a great def- defense this week, and um, we got to do what we can on this side to um, control the controllables, you know, control our effort, control our, our execution, control our mindset, and go into it the right way and go go out there and play a, a hard for our game. And, you know, uh, we, we've talked about it, and I think it's pretty clear that he is confident. Um that there is a difference between cocky and confident, and I think Jalen Hurts is confident, and I think he's ready for this moment and, um, you know, this opportunity. Uh, where is he going to be dubbed the franchise quarterback if he wins this game or if he wins these last four games? No. Uh, well, I guess if he wins the last four potentially, but uh, doubtful. Um, but it's a great opportunity for him to get on the field for more than a play here, play there go up against a good defense, and show what he can do. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. And uh, before we hit the break here, I did want to address the controversy surrounding Jalen Hurts. Because this this was, in my mind, I could not believe that this was something that people were worked up about. I, I really couldn't. And maybe I'm wrong, Um my wife actually saw the logic in in people being upset about this, which I thought it I thought it was stupid. But you know, I'm I'm leaving Thursday morning, driving home, 
And I'm hearing Angelo and the morning show uh, tease this Jalen Hurts controversy. So I'm like, all right, well, I got to listen. I, I want to know what they're talking about because, you know, I always – I like to listen to Angelo after I get off the air because, I, you know, Angelo is has been doing this for 30 years. Angelo usually has a very good nose for what the story is, and I'm interested to know whether he is talking about the same things that I would be talking about to open my show. But they were talking about this controversy with Jalen Hurts that never even occurred to me, and I just I don't understand how this is a big deal. That Jalen Hurts was wearing Astros gear during his press availability, and this is something that people were worked up about. Dan, Dan Wilson, my producer, if you disagree, please tell me. No, you're 100% correct. It's ridiculous uh, I mean, the way that we overreact and assume that everyone who plays for our teams has to support all of our teams. By the way, he's worn a Phillies jacket before, too. Like, there was that famous video on Election Day of him, like, you know, getting voters. He was standing outside a polling station. He's wearing a Phillies jacket. I think I've seen him wear it a few other times as well. The guy's from Houston. Right. Like, I get the Astros are not well-liked now because of the whole cheating scandal, but they're an American League West team. He wasn't wearing a Mets shirt. He wasn't wearing a Boston Celtics jersey. Like, he was wearing a team from the American League West who now has a reputation because he's from that city, and we love it when guys like Mike Trout go and represent Philadelphia in other places, but when it's done back to us, we can't stand it. Agreed. And, and well, like, who the hell cares about this? Seriously, like, Jalen Hurts, just because he's he's um, starting this week, all of a sudden has to be cognizant of wearing Eagles gear. I mean, and, and, I mean, maybe he could do it. I don't know. I, I, Carson Wentz wears his AO1 stuff every week. How often are we talking about that? It's not a rivaling team. Here's the other thing. I don't even know how much, like, a lot of athletes, and not even just athletes, like people in general, like, it said one of the shirts he had, if not both, just said Houston, like, not even Astros. A lot of players, a lot of guys in general just wear sports jerseys because it's a source of pride from for the city you're from. Right. So he's representing Houston. This is his moment. He's now being introduced as the starting quarterback for an NFL team. So he repped Houston. So what? Yeah. Good I, for him. Yeah. I, I don't care about it. I, I think it's I think it's kind of a stupid thing to get worked up about. But here was Jalen Hurts uh, talking about his uh, decision to wear Astros gear. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, I, I thought about that when, as I arrived to the facility. You know, I, I, I've worn – I got my Philly stuff now. So, I, I got my Philly jacket. I got my Sixers jacket, my hats. So, I'm a little diverse. I can't forget where I come from, though. Now, you know, I, I just I, – I think that's a perfectly fine answer. I think, you know, there's plenty of legitimate things to criticize people for. This isn't one of them, in my opinion. Who who the hell cares? Jalen Hurts wears Astros gear. Come on. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Uh, see Mike in South Philly there. Interested to get Mike's take on a number of different topics uh, when we return. Uh, because I do got to get into the Philly stuff with uh, Dave Dombrowski, the new president of baseball operations. Um, again, if you want to get in on the Sixers with the James Harden rumors heating up, Welcome to do that. Now, what's your predictions for this game? I I am picking the Eagles to win this game, believe it or not. 24-20, I just have a feeling they are going to come out, play with energy, 
the quarterback change I think will work. I think the offense will do enough. I think the defense will play well against Taysom Hill, and I like the Eagles to win this game. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WYP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you until 6 a.m. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Talking about the Eagles, obviously, Jalen Hurts making his first start, and I know everybody's excited for that. I'm excited for the first time really since week one to watch this team. They haven't been fun to watch. The offense has been brutal. They've been stagnant. Um, And I'm excited to see what he can do. Now, this is not even an anti-Carson Wentz thing. I even think people who like Carson Wentz and still believe in Carson Wentz should want to see Jalen Hurts at this point. Nothing was getting better with Carson. It was time to make the move, time to see what you have. Um, And if nothing else, it can help us draw conclusions from what is the main crux of the issue now. Like, what is the main problem with this offense? Is it Carson? Is it the coaching staff? Is it the offensive line and the receivers and, and and trace up to Howie? We'll have a better idea after these next four games. Now, will we know for certain? No, but I, I think it will go a long way to help flush out what is the best course of action for this organization moving forward. And I'm just excited to see Jalen Hurts out there. Um, he was he 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 was exciting last week. I thought he did some really nice things in his limited action against Green Bay. Looking forward to see what he can do against a good defense um, in the New Orleans Saints on Sunday afternoon. So, obviously discussing that. If you want to get on the Sixers, you're welcome to. Um, the the Ben Simmons for James Harden trade rumors are heating back up. And, you know, I'm, ver- I'm very conflicted on this. Um, I understand that James Harden is a, a great player and a great scorer. And him and Joel Embiid offensively as a combination would be dynamic. At the same time, I am a big fan of Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, I and I think Ben Simmons has the potential to be a top five player in this league someday. And uh, I'm interested in seeing what this team would look like this year with Ben, with Joel, and what's around them. Because, you know, last year, you know, you want to talk about, everyone's talking about Carson Wentz and him being uh, disserviced by what's been put around them. How about the fact that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons uh, had a team around them last year that didn't fit their skill sets at all? And I think this year, that is much different where you add guys like Seth Curry and Danny Green and and legitimate shooting, I think this team can be pretty fun with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Now, the difference is I don't think they're a title contender. Um, you add James Harden, you very well might be a title contender this year. I think the East is pretty wide open. Miami's good. I don't think they're unbeatable. Uh, same goes for Milwaukee. Uh, same goes for Boston. And Brooklyn, who knows what's going to happen with Brooklyn? Kyrie's already starting his nonsense. So, um, you know, if you're going to want to go for it now, you probably make the move. But um, I don't think it's cut and dry uh, as much as I did a few weeks ago. 
So if you want to get on that, you're welcome to. Also, the Phillies with Dave Dombrowski being hired uh, as their new president of baseball operations. Your thoughts on that as well. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's happening, Mike? Yeah, how's it going, Tom? Not bad, man. What's up? You know, I actually um... – I don't know if I'd say I agree, but I do have – there's a feeling in my gut that the Eagles are going to somehow win this game, and I'm actually terrified about it because, like, remember, remember how the city was when the Bryce Harper sweepstakes were going down, especially once Machado signed and we knew it was, it was Harper or Bust at that point. Right. How everybody's foaming at the mouth, like, oh, my God, we got to get Harper. That's how I am with Jamar Chase. Like, I won him in this city more than any player coming out of college that I've won in for an Eagle – uh, to, or to be an Eagle, and I, I can't remember how long. I think he's going to be one of the three best receivers in football for a decade. I mean, he, to me, he's the closest thing to Julio Jones I've seen since Julio Jones. Any win the rest of the way could knock the Eagles out of the Jamar Chase sweepstakes. Not that it's a lock that the Eagles would take him, but, I mean, you know what I mean. But um, there's just – look, logically, I think the Eagles are going to lose the game. The Saints are just a much better team. But there's just something in my gut. Maybe it's just the cynic in me that um, – they're somehow going to screw this up and end up picking like 12 by the time the season's over. I was thinking about that, Mike. Like, what if they won the last four games and made the playoffs? Like, I know you don't root against them for that, but you root against them for, you know, if you think uh, it's better long-term for them to get a top-five pick. But um, what would your feelings be if that scenario went down? For clarity, I don't think it will happen, but if it did. I'd be so well. It depends. Like I think it'd be disaster regardless. But if Hertz looked like the next Russell Wilson, obviously that changes things. Right. Right. Um, but you know, just looking at realistic uh, possibilities, I just think it would be a disaster. But my, to me, best case scenario is Hertz plays great and the Eagles lose a close one, a high scoring game. So I mean, because then if if it's a high scoring game, it's at least it's like okay, well, Hertz, you know, he's showing a little something for you that maybe you could carry in the next season. I think that's the best-case scenario. And honestly, I think most Philadelphians will be okay with that, Eagles fans. That if Hurts look great, the offense look good, and they lost like a 33-30 to game or something like that, or 27-30. Oh, yeah, Mike. And, you know, I look at the rest of the season now, and it's far less to me about the results of these games than it is how Jalen Hurts plays. Like, exactly. Yeah. You're just trying to find out at this point what are the main issues with the offense. Like, I don't think there's any way you can fully – come to that conclusion but like you said if Jalen Hurts comes out and plays really well these last four games then I think it, it only adds to the questions you have about Carson Wentz long term yeah and I think um frankly I mean I know that this goes against the record but I've watched the Saints all year I think they're a little bit of fool's gold like I think the Rams are a better team I think the Packers are a better team uh, I think I don't know what the hell's happened to Russell Wilson lately. I mean, he's playing the worst football of his career over the last few weeks. Mike, that game last week was shocking. The fact that the Giants went into Seattle and beat the Seahawks was stunning to me. Yeah, it was so – I mean, and he didn't look good against the Eagles either, frankly. No, he didn't. So, I I think if Russell Wilson figures it out, I think Seattle could be a better team. I'm just not a believer in the Saints. I think Sean Payton's overrated. Uh, You know, I'm not a believer in Taysom Hill, obviously. And even when – if Drew Brees gets back healthy, he he can't – can hardly throw a pass over 20 yards anymore. So I think in the playoffs, um, I think they're going to get exposed. I still think they're obviously certainly better than the Eagles. Um, so I do hope that, you know, the Eagles just lose a very close one. But, you know, uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, gives them something. And uh, maybe hopefully he can develop kind of a rapport with Jalen Rager. It's just something else other than just Hurts. Like if he's running around all game buying time and having to buy 10 seconds to find somebody open, I mean, it would be great, but – I hope at least maybe 
him coming into the game, somebody other than Carson who is struggling so poorly, maybe it's like it could give optimism for somebody else on the team. Like, oh, well, maybe Jalen Rager looks a lot better now that we have a competent, quarter, competent quarterback play. Right, yeah, and I think we saw that last week where um, immediately he just go, drops back and, and lays one into Rager, and Rager didn't have a ton of separation but but made a play on the ball. And I, I do think there's this intangible aspect of it where when you do make a quarterback change – it's kind of a wake-up call, and I would expect, if nothing else, the Eagles to come out and play with a lot of energy in this game. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, for the Sixers stuff, you, you know my stance on I went Harden in the worst way. Now, I will say that I am perfectly cool as long as they don't lose out on them. If they want to go into the season and see what they have. Right. Here's my prediction. Because, um, you know, I, not to do my own horn, but I nailed it last year with Horford and Red, Josh Richardson. You know, everybody's telling me the Sixers were locked to go to the finals. Um, so here's my prediction. I think the Sixers are certainly going to be better this year, just with the coaching change and the personnel fits better. So I still don't think they're any better than a fifth seed. Maybe they can get the four, but I, I doubt it. I don't think they're better than Boston or, or Milwaukee, no matter what they do. Uh, probably not better than Miami. Um, Maybe they can be better than the Nets if the Nets disappoint, and maybe they could be better than Toronto because Toronto lost some Abaka and uh, Marcus Saul. So I think they're at best a fourth, but probably fifth. Um, so here's my prediction: I think the season's going to start, and they're going to look better, but they're not going to look quite as good as people think. And I think once those uh, the preseason optimism wears off, where you know everybody before the season starts, they're blaming everything on Brett Brown. And they think Doc Rivers is going to make this team, you know, uh, you know, be a number one seed or a top two seed. I think once that optimism wears off and people kind of realize that Doc Rivers isn't going to totally transform this team come February 1st, everybody will be on board for a James Harden trade, assuming he hasn't been dealt by then, obviously. I think once that optimism wears off and people realize that the team still isn't a contender, even with a new coach and a new attitude, I think people will finally, the holdouts will be fully on board for Harden. Yeah, potentially. And, Mike, you know, there's just, uh, Harden does scare me in the sense of, I, and I hate to, to do this and, you know, because sometimes I think this stuff can be overblown, but I don't know how much Harden really wants to be that great. You know, he's a great scorer, but there's a difference between being a great scorer and a great player. Um, and, I, you know, we look at the offensive side of it, and obviously they'd be much better offensively with him, but you substitute James Harden for Ben Simmons. This team is is goes from a, I think, a potentially elite defensive team to uh, probably an average at best defensive team. They do. I, I think they'd be imp- pretty impossible to guard offensively, right? You have yeah. one of the most dominant paint scores in the NBA with one of the most dominant uh, perimeter scores, not just in NBA, in NBA history, who do you double? Like, and you can't, you know, and, and you're going to space the floor with, with Danny Green and, uh, and Curry. So it's hard. Like, defenses are going to be scrambling if they do decide to double. I think they'd be very, very difficult to guard. And I get why people have some reservations. James Harden's demeanor, it's kind of very blasé. He's not a fiery player. So people look at him and they think he's lazy and he's not, you know, he's not cut physically. So he kind of has, a, like, what are they, what the kids call it, a dad bod, I guess you could say. Right. Um, 
So I, I know why there's some reservations, but I mean, I mean, this he's an all-time great, yeah. an all-time great. Like if Ben Simmons, if everything worked out perfectly, for for Ben Simmons to become an all-time great, to reach James Harden's caliber, everything in his career would have to go perfectly. Like that's how good James Harden is. But I, I'm a hardliner, Tom. I believe you win titles in the NBA with top five talents. And I think, you know, people can point to a million reasons why the Sixers have fallen short. I think it's simple. Embiid and Simmons weren't good enough when it mattered. Embiid is a borderline top 10 player, but he's not a top five player. And I think Simmons is borderline top 20. The Sixers haven't won because their stars weren't good enough. You win in this league with elite stars. You win with LeBron. You win with Kawhi. You win with Durant and Curry. The Sixers don't have a guy like that. And Harden would give them that caliber of player. Yeah, no, no, I I hear what you're saying. And, And, I mean, offensively, like you said, Harden and Embiid and pick and roll. I just I don't know how you guard it, especially if you have Green and and Curry on the floor. You talk about the wide open shots. It would be a lot of games in the one twenties, but um, it, it certainly would be fun to watch. So you yeah. know, and and I'll say this: if I'm Houston, I would I'd absolutely do it because they're not getting a better player than Ben Simmons. Oh, no there. chance, none. But but I am cool with them going into the season and see what they have for. I think that's right. fair. Now uh, with the Phils. Um, I'm not on board with this. Uh, now, look, he's better than McPhail, obviously. He's better than Matt Klintag. But I agree, it's the, wor- it's the wrong guy at the wrong time. They need to rebuild their farm system. He's a guy who spends and trades prospects. They don't have any prospects to trade. They don't really have any money to spend. Um, so I really don't know what use Dombrowski is. This is kind of like, you know what it kind of reminds me of, actually? I hate to say it because I don't think he's going to be this bad. It reminds me of when the Sixers brought in uh, Colangelo. The older one, Jerry Colangelo. Remember? Oh, wow. The national people loved him. Remember? Oh, they're bringing a guy. He's built so many great teams. Uh, the, he's he's going to bring legitimacy to that organization. And, of course, he turned out to be a total disaster because he was old and he didn't care anymore. And he only went to the Sixers because of his ego. Remember, Dombrowski didn't want to run a, a baseball team. He was, all, he was all fired up about Nashville. And I guarantee John Middleton was sick of being ripped in the media so he called up Dave Dombrowski, yep. and he said, uh, save my organization. You're a name. I don't know anybody. I don't know who and Eric Neander is because I don't follow baseball. So you're a name, and I want you. And he eventually convinced him to come here. Now, again, I think he's going to be better than Jerry Colangelo because it's hard to be worse. But I think that's well, – he's not going to – at least he's not going to – at least I don't think he's going to come in and hire his son. So yeah, <laughs> I don't even know if he has a son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think it's, it's, it's going to – I think the motivation was the same. Like – John Middleton should have hired somebody who can slow build this organization. Forget about the, the name, man. You, they need a farm system. They have no prospects, and they didn't hire anybody that, could, that has a track record of doing that. Mike, it doesn't Mike, make any sense. What like, you, what you said, and sorry to cut you off, yeah, but yeah. What, what you said is exactly right, though, in my opinion. Like, this was Middleton going out. And you know he's always worried about the public pressure and what the public thinks of him. So he went out. He's like, okay, this is a guy who's a name. Uh, He's a guy who will take pressure off me in the immediate, but it's very short-sighted and doesn't really address any of the big-picture problems that the Phillies have. Yeah, and and, uh, by the way, how – there are some people who were sold on this move because of a press conference, but I don't don't get that. Like, like of course – I mean that's that's where they pump up well, their propaganda. Well, you got well, Mike. For the Phillies to actually have a press conference, it's not a disaster. That's a big win for them. Yeah, like well, it really is. Well, if if you want to know the bar for for press conferences selling somebody, remember what happened with Mike McCarthy and Leslie and Fort Lee. Uh, that's well, all you need to know. That's uh, all you need to know. He was sold with just a one press conference. That's right? true. But um, like 
now I lost my train of thought. But regardless, oh no, I know what I was going to say now. Now, uh, now imagine the people who are sold on Dombrowski in that press conference. That's going to flip on a dime if they don't bring right. Real Muto back. No, I, I'm on with you. I'm with you, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's but seriously, for the Phillies to have press conference, it's not a, a complete, you know, disaster. That's a positive based off, you know, Middleton and McPhail and the fact that they usually open their mouths and everybody hates it. So at least, at least Dombrowski wasn't awful in his press conference. Um, for the Phillies, they'll take that as a win, I guess. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mike and Bluebell. What's up, Mike? Hey, how are you doing? Good, how you doing? First time caller. Good. First time caller, long time fan. Thanks for having me. Thank you for checking in. Uh, so I just wanted to talk about Jalen Hurts starting tomorrow. I'm really not a big fan of it. Uh, I think it's just a cop-out for how just bad in general this team has been this year. You know, I know Carson Wentz has not had a great year at all. He's been off. But he is, he's not the only problem with this team by far. I mean, I, I think if you're going to blame any one person, it's got to be Howie Roseman for assembling this terrible team Uh too many guys who have just, you know, gotten old over the years and are now injury-prone. Too many holes on this team. And too many just bad drafts over the past, like, five, six years. And Mike, not, uh, I'm not going to argue any of that, but but what is to be gained by leaving Carson Wentz out there? Like, what, what, what do you think would have potentially changed if Carson Wentz remained on the field? I just think it's bad for Carson Wentz's confidence. Um, and I think Jalen Hurts can be a great quarterback in the NFL. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I just don't think he was the right pick for this team, especially in the second round in the draft when we just had so many holes that we needed to fill. Um, and I just think um, – I just think it's – I just think it's a uh, bad move. You just don't like it. Yeah, I, yeah. I just don't like nah. it. I just don't think we should have gotten him to begin with. I, I got you, Mike, and I appreciate the call. Thanks, man. I I I get that people don't like the pick. I I I mean, I think the pick looks honestly. I think it looks better now. To be completely honest with you, um, because you know. This regression from Carson Wentz, as much as we want to believe it came out of nowhere, it it, it didn't. It didn't come out of nowhere. Um, Carson Wentz had a really good finish to last season. But up until that point, he had not had a very good year. Yeah, the receivers were bad, but he had regressed. And, and you look at Carson Wentz ever since he returned in 2018. It has been, aside from that one blip at the end of last season, a steady regression. I think the Eagles saw something that they were concerned about, and they wanted to cover their bases with Jalen Hurts. Now, whether you agree with that, disagree with that, you know, that that's fine. But, I, I, I mean, I think you're in a worse position if you don't have Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz plays this poorly. Like, I don't buy this idea that, Carson Wentz is only playing this bad because the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts. Does that play into it partially? Maybe. And even if it plays into it partially, I don't think that speaks well of Carson Wentz. Like, why are you so threatened by a backup quarterback that you, you know, devolve into the worst quarterback in the NFL? 
Like, I, I, I don't buy that this idea that Carson's only playing this badly because of Jalen Hurts. He's not. Yeah, there are other factors. We all know there are other factors. We all know the offensive line isn't very good. We all know the receivers aren't very good. We all know that there are issues on this roster. But Carson didn't play well enough to keep his job. Okay? He didn't. And, you know, when 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 you say, I don't want to bench Carson because it's not good for his cars, his confidence, well, then he should have played better. He should have... He he should have played well enough to keep his job. The Eagles kept him out there way longer than he had any right to be out there, to be honest with you. In my opinion, this should have happened two and a half games ago. This should have happened at halftime in Cleveland when the Eagles were down 7 nothing. The offense at that point hadn't done anything for a month. At that point was when I thought they would have been fully justified in taking Carson Wentz out. They let him finish that game. They let him play an entire game against Seattle. They let him play more than a half against Green Bay. And I'm telling you, the play that was the final straw was when they have a 90-yard touchdown pass to Dallas Goddard, and Carson Wentz throws it like it's a punt. And Goddard has to stand there for four seconds waiting for that ball to come down. And I think at that point, that's when Doug's like, we just can't do this anymore. The Eagles gave Carson every opportunity to retain his job. He couldn't do it. It doesn't mean he's done in Philadelphia. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, this thing is completely finished. But there was no reason to keep Carson Wentz on the field. You need to see what you have in Jalen Hurts. And quite frankly, Carson Wentz didn't play well enough to justify continue throwing him out there on the field. Let's go to Drew in West Philly. What's up, Drew? Yo, Drew. Hey, hello. What's going on, bro? How you doing? Hey, listen, I got two quick questions, okay? Sure. All right, so first question I'm going to throw at you. So tomorrow, you know, uh, Jalen Hurts was starting. Do you think that on the sidelines we'll see a shot of Carson, you know, sitting with the tablet next to Jalen? And if we don't see him talking to Jalen on the side, if something goes wrong or, you know, because he's been a starting quarterback already, you know, he can coach the, the young kid up. Does that look bad on Carson if he doesn't do that? I, I don't know. I'm not really sure exactly what the dynamics are, Drew. I mean, normally when you see Carson, Carson's with Press Taylor, and, and you know, he's not usually over there with Jalen Hurts. So, I mean, I, I I think it's much more important for Jalen Hurts to be talking to his coaches in that spot than it is to talk to Carson, honestly. Yeah, that's, that's true. But it still could be a good look for Carson to, you know, try to reach out, be a good teammate. Yeah, you know what I'm of course. Like, that, that, that would look good. Yeah. Um, and second, this is just a personal thing for me. I got a fantasy football playoff, you know, game starting tomorrow, right? Okay. All right, so I got Drew Locke, you know, for Denver. Oof. But I picked up Jalen Hurts, too. You think like, it's not much of a difference, kind of, <laughs> but what, what do you think? Uh, you know, Drew, I'm not going to lie. I don't love either of your options. Uh, who's Denver playing? I, I For some reason, that's that's escaping me right now. Um, it says Denver is going to play – they're at Carolina. 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 Okay, Carolina. Okay, Carolina. Yeah, so. You know what? I'd, I, I'd probably start Locke, but, but I mean, Hurts, if, if he gets rushing yards, rushing yards are valuable for quarterbacks. So, it, it's one of those things. If you want to play conservative, I'd go with Locke. But if you want the upside, I'd start Hurts. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Hurts. Because okay. I, listen, I could see a rushing touchdown in his future. So There you go. All right, Drew. Well, I appreciate right. it, man. Thanks, man. All right, take it easy. Yeah, so if anybody's got any fantasy questions, you're, you're welcome to ask them. 
uh, if you need to. I, I don't know if I'm the best person to ask, but uh, I'll, tr- I'll try to point you in the right direction. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. When we get back, I do want to get to some of this sound from David Sampson, who used to work with Dave Dombrowski down in Florida. We'll hear from him. Also, um, our, our buddy Jeff Passan returns to the show, who we heard from frequently during the pandemic. Um, and Jeff Passan had his take on the, the Dave Dombrowski hire as well. So we'll do that. Talk a little Phillies coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Um, we'll get to the Dave Dombrowski, the David Sampson comments in a second here after we talk to Jaleel. But uh, I, I got to say this, um, and this is not meant as disrespect to the military of this country. Let me just get that out of the way to begin with. But is there any football game? that is more hideous year after year after year than the Army-Navy game. Uh, Dan, did you catch any of the Army-Navy game on Saturday? A very little bit, but I'm quite familiar with how both of those teams operate. I covered Temple football uh, during my time there, and I'm familiar with how Navy runs their offense. Temple played them earlier in the year. It's a really cool, there's a lot of, you know, festiveness in the air when those two teams meet up, but from the actual product on the field, I mean, all the people who call up and ask for Miles Sanders to get the ball 30 times a game would love this game because all they do is run the ball. How does how is there not one person in the entire Navy who knows how to throw a football? I don't think they threw a pass all game. Like well, I only watch like both teams just run the triple option all right. game. Right. I just don't Down get it. I don't get it. Like, how do you not know how to have well, been have any semblance it, it, of a passing game? They've been doing it for years. They just don't even rec- recruit quarterbacks who are pass first. It's yeah, Carson Wentz might thrive in that offense. It's terrible to watch. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Um, but I watched like the f- end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter because I'm sitting around and the Miami game was a blowout. And um, I'm watching, you know, the end of the Army Navy game. I'm just like, I can't I can't watch this. This isn't football. This is. This is terrible. It's a, you know, it's a very cool thing. Everyone says if you ever get the chance to go, and it's it wasn't this year, but it's very often held in Philly. So it's perhaps a bucket list item. But in terms of the physical product you're going to see on the field, not the best. Maybe that's the thing. Because uh, I've seen too many Army-Navy games in person. I used to be an usher at the link, so I have worked those games. So the, the idea is kind of uh, dead for you. Right. I've just seen it too much. And there was one year. I think it was 2013 where it was so cold and it was just hail like all day and it was like one of these games that's so uninteresting and it was it was just not fun well it really kind of speaks to those right those two offenses by the way I was listening to earlier in the week you were talking about the ushering job did you really not know who Meek Mill was I didn't I got in I got in an altercation with Meek Mill at the Eagles Bills game in 2015, I uh, yeah I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't recognize him, um, and I think that was that well, was he, he didn't was he not like dressed super nice like it didn't even occur to you that this was someone no I mean I think it was before he was really like pop really that popular but I, I guess he was with Nicki he Minaj at the time so yeah he no he was been, popular he didn't yeah. take like 
he took an extra level of popularity, especially around here after right. the Super Bowl run. Right. So I guess I'll give you a little bit of a pass there, but he was still pretty big. Yeah. No, I, I, hey, I just, I missed on it. I didn't, but hey, it's a fun, it's a fun story to tell. So at least it, I, I, I was the one it. who was like, hey, you're just a regular guy. I'm sure, because anyone yeah. else would be like, oh, you're Meek Mill right this way. Yeah. No, I, I did, didn't recognize him. Not one of my finer moments. Uh, 215-592-9494. Let's go to Jaleel in Delaware. What's up, Jaleel? Hey, what's going on, Tom? How's it going, man? Hey, um, a little bit about the Eagles. Um, all I really want to see is I want to see I want to see I want to see, uh, see Hurts' pocket presence. I want to see some instincts, um, and I hope I'm hoping to see some passes with some you know I want to see these receivers get some rack yardage. And at the end of the day, I feel like if they can keep that going, I feel like they're going to win this game. Um, I, I got a strong feeling they're going to use Malcolm Jenkins as kind of like Malcolm Jenkins as a kind of a QB spy for him. Mm-hmm. But um, that's all I really want to see. I just want to see a clean, just a clean game. And I feel like if the Eagles can actually beat the Saints, I feel like you can kind of beat anybody in the league. Like I mean, besides Kansas City, uh, I think making the playoffs might actually be worth it if they can actually get like a really good game against the Saints. Well, that's it's funny, Jaleel, because. If they can find a way to win this game, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm picking them, but I'm not picking them extremely confidently. But if they can find a way to win this game, you know, and the Giants lose and Washington loses, all of a sudden they're really right back in the mix for the NFC East. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, if they can beat the Saints, then all of a sudden the Eagles look like a much different team. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, as far as Wentz goes, uh, I look. I look. I went back to 2017. I looked at some film. I, a lot of people talk about it a lot. So I just checked on him, seeing what he did back then, and you know he was a much better scrambler. He had much better awareness. And I think over the years that he's just not that kind of player anymore. And I think this year was kind of a struggle for him. And he had to fight with himself as far as like learning his his body. Like he's not he's not built like that anymore. I think he's gonna have to learn how to become a pocket passer. Yeah. At this point, if he hopes to be anything good. But uh, I got a couple questions about fantasy. Sure. Okay. Now, my starting receivers are I'm, – I'm the lowest seed in my division right now, so I'm playing the highest seed in the playoffs. I'm okay. To death. Um, my starting receivers, I got Chris Godwin. I got Curtis Samuel. Um, I'm hoping I'm hoping Zachary is going to have a good game this week. I, I found he's back. You know, I, I had him since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my last receiver, I'm debating if I should start Robbie Anderson – Devontae Parker or, or T. Higgins? Um, well, the the problem you have with with, uh, with with Anderson and Samuel is, you know, they kind of take away from each other. I'd actually probably start exactly. Anderson over Samuel. Um, really? Well, I have Anderson in my league. I'm not that familiar with what Samuel's done. I'm looking at his numbers right now. He's had a couple good games. Yeah, he's had a couple good big games recently. Um, yeah, I... I you're probably best off picking one of those two guys to start, whichever one you feel better about. And then, right. um, who are your other guys? Higgins and who yeah, else? Yeah, I got I got Devontae Parker and T. Higgins. Now Devontae right. Parker seems he only plays really good when when Fitzpatrick is in the game, and T. Higgins. I know they're going up against Dallas, so I'm hoping that you know the yeah. guy. I don't know who their quarterback is, but he still throws to this day. I thought they had been running the ball a lot more. Well, you know they what? Still throw a lot, Jaleel. So little, I would. I would start Parker just because the Dolphins are going to have to score a lot of points to stay in that game. They're going to have to throw the ball against Chiefs. You really think I should start Devontae? Devontae be scary, man. Sometimes yeah. he has like a really good game, and 
that game, he has nothing. But this like, is the kind of game where Miami's going to have to throw the ball to stay up with Kansas City. You know, that's kind of my thinking there. And you think Devontae's going to do it? Okay, yeah. my last question. Sure. Uh, my two running backs. I got Ronald Jones from Tampa Bay, and uh-huh. I got the, uh, uh, McKissick from Washington. Now, I've had McKissick before, and he's been a little there and there. Is, is I, it PPR or non PPR league? What do you what do you, uh, what do you mean by that? Like a point? Do you get a point per reception? Like every time a guy catches a ball, does he get a point for that? Oh, oh yeah, as a, as a running back. Actually, yeah, yeah. Well, receiving yards is really important for running back. Well, then I would start McKissick. I'd start McKissick then. Because you, you think McKissick is better than AP? Yeah, or, well, uh, Devontae Booker. Well, uh, well, Booker. Uh, well, yeah, J- Jacobs might might play. I uh, McKissick catches a lot of balls. I'd start. I'd start him. I okay. All right. I, so. I think I think I'm gonna go with McKissick too. All right. But yeah, just wanted that. Well, let, let me know how it pans out, Jalil. All right. Well, we'll do. All right. Take it easy, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's one of those tough ones where you gotta decide who to start. And once it's playoffs, it's, you can't make the wrong decision. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, but real quick, um, I wanted to play some of this sound for you here because the Phillies hired Dave Dombrowski this week, and I don't think it's the right hire for this team at this time for a number of reasons. But a guy that Dave Dombrowski worked with in Miami when he was with the Florida Marlins is David Sampson. David Sampson um, used to be the Marlins team president, uh, is not afraid to speak his mind. And he knows Dave Dombrowski um, very well from their time together in Florida. Uh, and he was asked about Dave Dombrowski uh, coming to Philadelphia and whether it will work. Here is David Sampson's thought on the, uh, on the hire. What he's good at doing is being hired to be the president of baseball operations and then going ahead and spending a desperate owner's money. And make no mistake, John Middleton of the Philadelphia Phillies is desperate to win. He agreed to sign Bryce Harper. He traded for JT Realamuto. He signed Zach Wheeler. He signed Andrew McCutcheon. And guess what they have to show for it? Nada. They have as many World Series rings as you do, Jeremy. So the bottom line is that Dombrowski is being brought in. But the Phillies are not a good fit for Dombrowski. And I'm happy to tell you why, if you want to know. Well... Uh, we we do want to know. Uh, here's more from David Sampson on why uh, Dabrowski was not a good hire. He's not a good fit because the Phillies farm system is not in good condition right now. They did a rebuild that did not work. They spent a ton of money on payroll at the major league level, so they don't have a, have a lot of flexibility, which means, as we believe, the owner is not willing to spend more money to cover some of the aforementioned mistakes, like signing Andrew McCutcheon, like having Bryce Harper for the next 11 years. So the only way that Dombrowski can add value is if he overpays for good players, gives them longer-term contracts than they deserve, and have a win-now attitude. What Philly needs is someone who can build a system and then reap the benefits and sow the fruit, if I could mix another metaphor maybe, (laughs) of that system, and then sprinkle in some free agent signings and go on a sustained winning sort of track for a few years. That's what Philly needs to do, but they don't realize it because their owner's desperate, so they brought in a guy who's much more of a win-now cowboy, and I don't think that it's going to work at all. I agree, you know, and I think there might be some personal stuff there with Samson and Dombrowski, but he is not the right guy for this job. Like, Dave Dombrowski is the kind of guy that you bring in when you're close and you're looking to get over the hump. 
you know, I, I kind of look at him akin to what Ruben was. Like, we look at Ruben Amaro now as kind of a bad GM. We didn't look at Ruben Amaro that way in 2009, 2010, 2011. Because when you're looking to win now, Ruben Amaro Jr. is a good guy for that role. He will go out and he'll make the Roy Halladay trade. He'll make the Cliff Lee trade. He'll make the Hunter Pence trade and give up all these prospects. That's very much what Dave Dombrowski is. But that's not what the Phillies need. The Phillies need someone who's going to restock their farm system. And it's John Middleton again falling into the same trap that he always falls into. Where, you know, it's a short-sighted approach instead of addressing the long-term issues with this organization. Um, And one more for you. Here's Jeff Passan of ESPN talking about Dombrowski and the fit here in Philadelphia. Really interesting. If you're going to go and cut payroll, Dave Dombrowski is the last guy (laughs) that you would go out and hire. He's somebody who has a track record of going and spending money, whether it's with the Red Sox, whether it's with the Tigers and turning them into a big market club, and going and paying prospects to get really good and expensive players. He's also a guy who has a track record of winning World Series rings. And you hire Dave Dombrowski if you want to win right now. And there you go. I mean, it's not a slight on Dave Dombrowski. He's good at what he does, but what he does is not what the Phillies need right now. And that's why I'm not a big fan of this hire. 215-592-9494. Uh, got it at the break here. Steve in Tampa, I see you there. Steve will be first. Right after the break, I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, with you until 6. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Talking about Dombrowski, in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll let you hear the Dave Dombrowski press conference uh, from the other day, um, which is, you know, pretty interesting. I, I heard it on the afternoon show, so we'll... Play that for you in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, But talking about the Eagles, I want your thoughts as Jalen Hurts gets set to make his first NFL start on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Should be fun to watch. Um, And, uh, you know, part of that defense coming in, uh, Malcolm Jenkins. And, um, you know, still one of – I think of all the moves Howie made, uh, the, that that are irritating. Obviously, bigger ones in the big picture that that hurt you. The Ortega Whiteside pick, Rager over Jefferson, those kind of things. But um, letting Malcolm Jenkins go was a big mistake, and uh, you know, I, I it it's one that that bothers me more than the rest in some ways because it was so stupid and so unnecessary and so avoidable. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Steve in Tampa. What's up, Steve? Dr. Kelly, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Guess guess where I just moved to? Uh-oh. Glenside. Yes, Glenside. How'd you guess? Wow, what a guess. Yeah, amazing. Well, they have a very nice theater there. They have great food on Glenside Avenue. Nice flower shop. It's a nice place to live. Well, yeah, it seems it's only a week, but I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, right near uh, Keswick. Yes, right, yes, right around um, the corner. I'm sort of familiar with the place. Um, first of all, I have a PSA for you. What's that? Get your snowplow ready. 
Yeah, for for this week. Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, not going to be I'm great. So sorry, you have no idea how yeah. sad I am. I'm sure you're going to get a foot in stoke. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're very upset for all of us. I'm Steve. very my tears are in my eyes. Yes, I just I, uh, it's just so hard to understand. Anyway, I you know get the cot ready for the studio. Um, first of all, I'm a little irritated um, about your your comment on the Army Navy game. Uh, I know it was boring. It was three nothing for a long time. However, Doctor Kelly, Army and Navy are not uh, Auburn, Clemson. They're not football schools. They're military academies. They're raising kids to go to war to protect you and me. Yes, Steve, but why can't one? Why can't one of them throw a football? Football is not their primary thing. Yeah, but throw, but but you can't find one quarterback in the whole in the whole troop there. Come on, it's not what if you're a quarterback, would you want to go to Navy or would you want to go to Alabama? Obviously, Alabama, but Steve, come on, but why can they not find somebody who can throw the football so they don't run the ball every play? Doesn't want to go to the military school, right? But you can make somebody into a quarterback who could throw a football, but that's not their role. That's not why they play football. I, I and you know that. No, come I, on. I. But they're still. I mean, Army seven oh, and two. On, Kelly, Jeez. Army seven and two. Steve, it's not like they're a terrible team. Yeah, but who do they play? They oh, play some right. decent teams. It's not a Big Ten school. They don't play Penn State or Northwest Northwestern or Michigan or Ohio. They play military schools right, or PCI but, or whatever. But there are Steve, there are a lot of bad college teams that still can throw the football. Like I I think, I understand, but that's not why they play football. I get it, but I, I mean I, I think they could add to their offensive repertoire. That's well, all. that's I mean, they're not looking for ratings or nothing though. Well Steve, I, so so I, I, I I understand the tradition of it, but do you enjoy watching the game, seriously? No. I was first of all it was just you know what it reminded me of? The Eagles fog ball in Chicago. Yeah, the way yeah, there were that was really foggy there. They were at West that Point. That was right? very foggy. Yeah. I don't know what year that was when the Eagles played Chicago. That was God. I think eighty nine or eighty seven or something. Was it was it in the eighties? It was in the eighties, yeah. I I'm pretty sure. Oh, anyway, yeah. Eagles. Do you remember I I'm gonna test your memory. When Wentz went down in uh in uh 2017, they had the backup quarterback, quarterback, and they put in the backup quarterback, and he won three or four games in a row and won the Super Bowl. Nick Foles. Do you think that Peterson could do the same thing with Hurts? I mean, no, not this year. I mean, the team's not good enough. So, no, I don't. The the, the Eagles had a great team in 2017. on this station, everybody, well, the, the talent that was there then said that, well, he's going to make it very simple plays. Uh, he's not going to make anything, you know, very difficult. Uh, and um, don't you think he's going to do the same plays now for Hertz that he did before? No, I don't. I don't think he's going to have the same playbook he had with Foles. I mean, Hertz is a, so? Hertz is a different kind of player, Steve. I mean, Nick Foles is a statue. I know he's a different kind of player. But let me ask you a question: Where does the New Orleans defense rank? Uh, they're 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 at the top of the league. 
Okay, and you think the Eagles are going to win 24-21? I, 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 24-20 is my prediction. I'm sorry, 24-20. You need some serious help. Well, I, I, I have what, a feeling, I Steve. I have a, I have a gut feeling, and I'm not going to change my mind on it. I think you want to go to Doctor Fish, really. All right. Well, you, uh, well, he's available. I think. Well, if I'm wrong, you can call him and mock me tomorrow. Okay. All right. Don't forget that. Don't forget snowshoes and boots and rubbers. All right. Thank. That a guy. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate appreciate the call. Um. Uh, so uh, that hey, I, I have a feeling the Eagles are going to win this game. That's my prediction. I think they're going to come out, play with energy. I think they're going to p- play inspired football. And a lot of times you'll get that from a team um, that is playing a backup quarterback and making a big change. So uh, I, I, I think the Eagles have a shot to win this game. And, hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You mock me tomorrow. That's fine. I'm big boy. I can handle it. 215-592-9494. In the next segment, uh, Dan and I will go through the week 14 slate, man. I can't believe it's week 14 already. And look at all the games. Um, give you our picks for Sunday. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, in the next segment, we'll let you hear. Uh, some of what Doug Peterson had to say this week in regards to the quarterback change. Um, you know, how he told the, each player, how Carson Wentz is handling it, and, you know, what he expects from Jalen Hurts moving forward. So we'll talk about that um, in the 4 o'clock hour here. Uh, but right now it is time for our Week 14 picks in the NFL, our Week 14 preview. Um, as Dan Wilson and I will go through all the games and give you some of our predictions here. And we'll start uh, in New York with the Giants hosting the Cardinals. Now, this is an interesting one where the, um, the, the, the line is risen. I was kind of surprised it was, as low, uh, it was as low as it was to begin with, where it opened, I believe, at Cardinals minus one. It's now up to Cardinals minus three. Um, Cardinals have not played well as late of, as of late. Kyler Murray, ever since kind of hurting his shoulder, hasn't looked quite right. Uh, but this is a game the Cardinals desperately need to win uh, to stay in the playoff mix. Giants, if they win this game, can put themselves really in firm control of the NFC East. Uh, but Cardinals giving three on the road in New York. Uh, Dan, what do you think of this game? Yeah, this is a game you mentioned the Cardinals needed. The Giants absolutely need it, too. You said the Cardinals are only getting a point and a half. I think the Cardinals will win unless they win by one. It's hard to imagine. Like, well, just, now they're at three. It's a uh, three it's now. up to three. Okay, yeah. so I, I got a little behind. So three points, that's a tough game to bet, in my opinion. Again, I said I'm not a huge betting guy, but if I did have to go in one direction here, that's honestly where I think it's going to be. I think the Cardinals will win by about a field goal. But I don't know. The Giants have been hot. They're desperate. They get Daniel Jones back tomorrow, I believe. So... I, I do like the Cardinals, though. Yeah. But if you're a believer in the warm-weather Cold City kind of thing, which I'm not usually a huge subscriber to, right? that's something to keep an eye on. Although it's not supposed to be it's supposed to be pretty warm up here in the Northeast tomorrow. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I think that's a tough one. I, it's probably going to be a close game. I got to say, Joe Judge is doing an all right job. I, I may have to apologize to him if the Giants win the division, um, as I mocked Joe Judge for a while. But 
I like the Cardinals to win a close game there, and that just brings me sad. Uh, the Cardinals make me sad because my friends and I were supposed to go to Arizona for the Eagles-Cardinals game next week. But, That's um, You still technically could, but not yeah, the best idea right nah. now. Yeah. It kind of defeats the purpose. How about them, I'll just side note, them taking on the role of the home field of the 49ers right. this year. The 49ers still have a road game against them. Right. Like, we're just picking random fields to play. It's just a weird year. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, hopefully next year we can do that kind of stuff again. But uh, the next up we'll go to Cincinnati. The Cowboys going to the Bengals. Cowboys given three. I mean, I just I don't know how you could handicap this game with either team, to be honest with you. I'd lean Cowboys win a close game, but I don't think it's really a bettable game. No, it's when when you bet on bad teams, bad things happen. And these are two teams right. who Andy fi- Dalton revenge game. Though. You figure one of them has to win by default. Right. I the Cowboys actually have the better quarterback in this game with Andy Dalton. So, but the game's in Cincinnati. It's just so bad. Yeah. You said you had the spread. I have Cowboys minus three and a half here. I don't know okay. what you. I have it three, yeah. Okay, so you have it at three. Minus three and a half, I don't, because I could see them winning by a field goal. I think I would take the Bengals there. Yeah, I, yeah, I could see the Bengals winning that game outright, to be honest with you. Uh, next up, we go to Carolina. Panthers three and a half point favorites at home against Denver. Denver played Kansas City tough last week. Uh, Carolina. Um, I think Carolina is kind of due for a win here. I kind of like Carolina. In this I game. like I like Carolina too. Yeah, Broncos on the road. Just Drew Locke not been good this season. I feel bad for. I think it was Drew who called in. Right, he might have to start him in fantasy. By the way, we got a little uh, Temple connection in this game. I don't know if you know what it is. There you go. Well, Matt Rule. Matt Rule, but for the Broncos, kicker Philly guy Brandon McManus. Right. Yeah, that's right. So uh, he'll be going up against his former coach for the first time. And, and there's been a lot of Temple connections this year with Matt Rule jumping onto the NFL coaches. Yeah, Matt Rule's got like uh, half his rosters, guys he coached the, the Temple. The North Philly Panthers, the right. Temple Panthers, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, he's got a lot of And Robbie Anderson emerging under his former coach. There you go. Uh, next up in Chicago, the Bears hosting the Texans. This is a weird game. Um, Texans are only one-and-a-half-point favorites. It feels like that line should be higher. Kind of telling you Bears here. Um, it's another one. I, I, I It goes back to your thing, Dan. Uh, betting on bad teams isn't very good, and either way, you're betting on a bad team. If you, Yeah, when you're betting on bad teams, bad things are going to happen. This is a game I would definitely stay away from. Texans are getting a point here. I don't know what the – do we know what the forecast is supposed to be in Chicago tomorrow? Because this is the Dome team. I going up in the cold. Right. I do so, not. I, it seems like it could be a sloppy Chicago December Sunday. I don't know. I don't even know where to go with this one. Yeah. It just seems like it'll be a close game and someone will win by a field goal. The Bears are terrible. Uh, so it, And it, the Texans aren't much better. They're no. Both, you know, they're actually a game worse. Right. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Next up in Miami, one of the more interesting games of the day, Dolphins hosting the Chiefs. Chiefs are seven-point favorites on the road. I really like the Dolphins keep this game close. I, I think they cover the number here. Yeah, this, this might be the game of the day in the NFL. Chiefs at the Dolphins. Dolphins for years. Finally, we have new contenders in the AFC East. Mm-hmm. I got the spread here. Chiefs minus seven and a half. I'm sorry, what did you say you had? I had it seven. Okay, so that's seven, a seven and a half. That's a big spread, especially on the road. And because it's more than a touchdown, I feel like the Dolphins could keep this at seven. Yeah. Like, like I think Mahomes and Andy will get a win, but I could see them easily winning by a field goal touch. Seven and a half is big. Yeah, I think it's going to be a close game. So I kind of like the Dolphins there. Uh, next up in Tampa Bay, um, Bucks six and a half point favorites at home 
against the Vikings. I like the Vikings to cover here. Vikings, maybe even I, I could see winning this game. I, I got to say, Mike Zimmer deserves a lot of credit for that team being 1-5. and five. And now, looking at the landscape of the NFC, I think the Vikings end up making the playoffs. They're right there. And th this is going to be a big game, not only for these two teams, obviously, record-wise, but this is the time of year when you have games like this, kind of teams who are just in the hunt. This plays big for tiebreakers and stuff yeah. like that, especially in that NFC. The game is in Tampa, as you mentioned. Six and a half is hefty. Yeah, I, I feel like I like the Vikings here, too. I, I think the Bucks will win, but maybe by, like, a field goal or something. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, whether they're good games or not, I think there will be a decent amount of close games tomorrow. Should make for some good red zone action. Yeah, I think it's going to be a close game there. Next up in Jacksonville, uh, Tennessee seven-and-a-half-point favorites on the road to Jacksonville. I, You know, the Jags aren't good, but they, they play a lot of close games. They play close against Minnesota, play close against Cleveland, Green Bay. Um, so, you know, based on history, I think you got to assume Jacksonville probably covers this here. Yeah, again, they're at home. It's a really, really big spread. Usually when you see a big spread like that, because there, there's always the possibility of a backdoor cover at the end, it's just hard to imagine, unless the Titans just, you know, really run the ball down their throats. Dalvin Cook, I know, went for a big game against the Jaguars, though I think he needed a ton of carries to do it. That obviously pertains to Derrick Henry, another one of the best rushers in the NFL. But, yeah, you, you probably think that the Titans win this game by, like, a touchdown, which would mean that the Jags do indeed cover. Right. Uh, next up, you go to Vegas. Uh, another interesting game here. Um, Raiders hosting the Colts. Colts giving up three. The Raiders got so fortunate to win that game last week against the Jets. Um, this one, man, I, I, I kind of like Indianapolis in this game, I think, to cover it. Well, the, to Jolly Chagrin. To Jolly Chagrin. Uh, Philip Rivers might get a win here in December. Right. They are playing at Vegas. Really quick about that Vegas win last week. Like, I know that the players on the field theoretically aren't tanking, but isn't it just a little bit suspicious the way the Jets lost that game? Oh, it is. And then Greg Williams gets fired. I mean, the Jets have to be happy they lost that game. I mean, it's the only reason Adam Gase is still the coach. They don't want to win. Um, I don't know if they were intentionally trying to lose, but I'll tell you what, I don't think Joe Douglas was too was, upset. Was, like, too upset that they won. No. I, the Jets are the reason why. This is the farthest I've ever made it in any survivor pool anyway. I, or ever. I just pick against, against the, Jets. the Jets every week. It's too easy. Well, there you go. Speak and I almost, and me and everyone else almost got eliminated last week. We're still in. Right. Well, speaking of that, uh, we'll go to Seattle where the Jets are playing the Seahawks. Seahawks giving up 14 and a half. Seahawks should come out and crush them, especially coming off that loss. But Seahawks are incapable of blowing anybody out. So, I I mean, I'm not going to bet on the Jets, but I would think the Jets cover this. The number. Jets, another bad team who have lurked in a lot of games. Again, that's just a really big spread. And you've seen too many backdoor covers this year, whether it's the Eagles or otherwise. I feel like I would take the Jets to cover this spread. But Seahawks will win by like 10. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, a, a game nobody cares about. Chargers hosting the Falcons. I mean, Chargers giving up one at home. I have no no clue, no interest, no nothing in this game. Anything you want to add to that one, it, It's big. Look, these games are always big for two reasons late in the year, betting and fantasy. Right. I, it's, I, I think Justin Herbert's story has been pretty cool. He's played despite the team's record not reflecting it. Mm -hmm. I think he's had a nice first year, so that, that's the only interest you'd have, but no, it's not one of the more intriguing games on this card here tomorrow. Right. So next up in Detroit, uh, Packers eight and a half point favorites on the road at the Lions. Um, 
Lions now, they fired Matt Patricia. Uh, I think they play this game tough. I think the Lions cover the number. I think the Packers win, though. I definitely think the Packers win. I could, I could see Aaron Rodgers winning this game by 10, 14. I mean, he's just having a, a really, really good season. And surprisingly, like, he could have put up more points against the Eagles, I thought. The fact that they were even remotely in the game when they went to Jalen Hurts, and they did get that little bit of a spark, was surprising to me. But I, this is a team he's familiar with. I know it's a divisional game, and there's always a spectacle there. But I, I actually think the Packers blow him out here. Yeah, it's possible. I, I, I'd like to see Rodgers go back to the Super Bowl this year. I'd like to see him get to another one. Um, so next up, we'll go to Sam Fran. Niners hosting Washington. Niners giving up two and a half. I kind of like Washington, or I mean San Fran in this game. Washington on a short week. Um, I think San Fran finds a way to get this one. Washington on the short week is concerning the game. In Arizona. It, yeah, it says at San Francisco. It's really right. in Arizona for whatever that's worth. So I don't think there's much of a home field advantage here. to Travel, obviously, further from the East Coast. But it's not really a home game for the Niners. Washington looked good, though. Like, a lot of people like that pick against the Steelers. And they backed it up, and them and the Giants are playing well in this division that everyone thought was horrible. Yeah. The two of them look like, at the moment, going to go down to the end here for the NFC East. Yeah, so uh, interesting game for Washington there. They need to win it, honestly, but um, I'll go with San Fran. Next up, Sunday night game. I think it's going to be a really good game. Buffalo hosting the Steelers. Um, Buffalo giving up two at home. I, I know everything would point to Buffalo, Coming off that loss, though, I kind of feel like this is a Tomlin, Roethlisberger, find a way to pull one out in Buffalo. See, Paul Jalovitz would disagree with you. His yep. whole theory relies on the Steelers having their first loss of the year, and then you bet against that team. He claims that it's you know almost perfect and it didn't work last year. We're going to have to check the stats on that, though. We have no reason not to believe him. I lied earlier. I said the Chiefs-Dolphins was the game of the day. This is the game of the day. Yeah. Like, this is one of the games of the year in the NFL. Josh Allen playing great this season. It's on prime time where these two teams belong. I know the Steelers got their first loss last week, and everyone's kind of down on them for being just a one-loss team. Like They seem to have some flaws. But this is a really, really good game. The game's in Buffalo. I imagine this going right down to the wire. I'll take the Bills, too. Like, I really think they could send the Steelers to 11-2. and two. The Steelers are probably going to end, like, 13-3. and three. Like, they'll be fine. This is a huge, huge, like, I, I don't want to say prove-it game for the Bills because they're 9-3, and three, but you want to talk about a signature moment for Josh Allen's season, like beating the Steelers tomorrow on Sunday night, that would be it. Yeah, I kind of like the Steelers, but that's going to be a fun game no matter what. And then uh, final game of the week, Monday night, Baltimore at Cleveland. Uh, Baltimore giving three on the road. I just think Baltimore really needs this game. They need this game desperately. They do, but the Browns have been – like, what Stefanski's done with the Browns is really, really impressive this year. And the fact that the game's in Cleveland and Baltimore is favored. Can you really bet against the Browns right now? I, yeah, it's I, unbelievable I can. that we're saying <laughs> yeah. you can't bet against the Browns, but can you? Yeah, I can. Uh, That's, okay, fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Baltimore there, but it uh, should be a good one. Coming up next – um, we'll hear a little bit from Doug Peterson on the big quarterback change this week. That's coming up. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, in the next couple segments here, I want to – Play some of Doug Peterson during the week because this was obviously a much different week for Doug 
And for the football team. I mean, it's a – I'm trying to think. When is the last time that the Eagles made a quarterback change based on performance? I mean, I, I'm trying to think at this point when that was uh, because, you know, it, it's 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 strange when you're in that spot where, you know, you're benching a quarterback to put in – uh, a different guy based on performance. It's a, it's a big move, especially when you have a guy that you're committed to. I guess, you know, back in, in 2013, I mean, Mike Vick got hurt, full stepped in, played well. Because remember, Michael Vick, I remember fifth game of the year, Eagles were 1-3, they're playing in New York. Um, and Vick gets hurt, Foles comes in, plays well, you know, Falls ended up having a concussion later in the year, but Mike Vick, he never got his hamstring right that year. So Nick Falls obviously takes over, has the good season. That wasn't really a performance-based benching, though. Um, you know, Vick was banged up in 2012. That's when Foles got that opportunity, and then there was really no point in putting Vick back in. Um, this is probably the first time in a decade. Because really, the the last time, I think, the last time a, a starting quarterback of the Eagles lost their job due to performance was Kevin Cobb in 2010. And Kevin Cobb had, what, a half? And yeah, he sustained a concussion in that Green Bay game. But, I mean, after Vic came in and played the way he played that week, the following week in Detroit, and then um, in Jacksonville, you knew Kevin Cobb wasn't getting his job back because Michael Vick was just the superior player so yeah it's been a long time since we've been in this situation where the Eagles have have benched a quarterback based on performance it's never happened to Carson um only due to injury when when Foles came in in 2017 and 2018 but here we are again and um it's going to be really intriguing to see how Jalen Hurts plays um and Doug obviously had to handle things a little differently during the week some of the questions he were at, he was asked are more difficult than the things uh, that he's normally asked, uh, even though this year has been a tough one for him. But um, I want to play some of the stuff Doug had to say uh, throughout the week. Um, first, here was Doug announcing on Tuesday that Jalen Hurts would be the starter this week against the New Orleans Saints. I wanted to, you know, remove myself, obviously, emotionally from from the game on Sunday and 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 spend some time thinking about, uh, you know, this week and, and how we were going to prepare for New Orleans. And so uh, I have come to uh, a decision, and, and I'm going to go with uh, Jalen Hurts this week against New Orleans. And it's the right decision. I would venture to say it was the only decision. It was the only decision at this point that Doug could make was nothing was getting better with Carson Wentz. And this, you know, I, I don't even think this is a a Carson Wentz defender versus Carson Wentz critic conversation here. Because uh, even people who defend Carson Wentz, I, I don't know why you'd be on the side of wanting him to continue playing. It wasn't getting any better. The Eagles need to see what they have, even if you think Carson Wentz is still the guy here long-term. And because of the contract, they probably will try to remain with Carson next year. Um, but you got to see what you have in Jalen Hurts. Like you, you, you got to know, have some sort of idea whether if you 
were to let go of Carson or you were to believe Carson's broken, can this be your guy? You know, if you end up losing out and you're in the top five, do you need to consider taking a quarterback at that spot? I mean, there are going to be quarterbacks there. You know, uh, your odds of getting, you know, I I don't think you're getting Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence going number one uh, to to most likely the Jets. Um, But, you know, Justin Fields will probably be gone, but should you consider him if he's there? Trey Lance, another guy from North Dakota State, would be interesting. Kyle Trask, like, there are guys there that are going to be worthy of consideration if you don't have confidence in Carson Wentz and if you don't have confidence in Jalen Hurts. And I don't think there's really anything Jalen can do in the final four weeks of this season to convince you he's your guy. But at least you have some sort of an idea whether he can play at this level and whether he can be a starter for you at this level. So it was the only choice. The Eagles needed to do something to try to jumpstart their offense. When you were trying to get a spark, you were trying to jumpstart a stagnant offense, the easiest thing you can do is to make a change at the quarterback position. And it is the right move, and it is not necessarily the end of Carson Wentz. For the people who love Carson, this doesn't mean Carson Wentz is finished here because he gets benched. It shouldn't, at least. You know, uh, hopefully Carson would have the, you know, wherewithal mentally to come back from that. Um, but it's the move that had to be made. And Jalen Hurts got a trial opportunity at the end of that game in Green Bay, and I thought did a pretty nice job. The numbers aren't overwhelming, but this is where you got to use your eyes and really look at the eye test of it. Jalen Hurts played well. He did some nice things. Here's Doug Peterson on what he saw and how he thought Jalen Hurts fared in his first real NFL action against the Packers last week. Well, you know, during the during the game, I just I just felt like things were um, they weren't progressing as the offense uh, that I, that I thought um, you know we were going to do. We were going to the game plan as it evolved and and um, you know struggled just a little bit to, to continue to to sustain any kind of movement in the in the game and and um so i decided you know with uh, just under eight minutes to go there in the third quarter to to insert Jalen. you know we always have a plan each week to put Jalen in the football game but uh put him in and, and let him let him see what he could do and and really at the time i was looking for that that spark right and and i was looking for that momentum that might might change the outcome of the game or at least change you know a possession or two of the game and, and kind of get us get us back into it and um Decided to keep him in, and uh, obviously had a chance to, uh, you know, gave us gave us an opportunity, scored the touchdown. Obviously, we had the punt return, big punt return for a touchdown, and really brought us back into that football game. And and, and is what what I was looking for, and I think that's what we were looking for as a football team. So uh, that was the that was the decision there. And basically, that's Doug saying Jalen Jalen Hurts earned the right to start this week. I mean, and this again for the people who think I just hate Carson Wentz. First of all, I don't. I don't have anything personal against Carson Wentz. I've never met Carson Wentz. I don't know Carson Wentz. Um, I am just evaluating Carson Wentz's play, and, you know, I saw more positive things from Jalen Hurts in a couple drives than I've seen from Carson Wentz in about six weeks. You know, the last positive things we really saw from Carson Wentz at all was the end of the first Giants game when the Eagles come back from that 11-point deficit with six minutes to go. So... Jalen Hurts earned this opportunity. He came in 
and for whatever reason, the offense began to move. And I, honestly, I if Jalen Hurts came in and didn't play well, I don't think he would be starting this week. I think Carson would be starting. I think that was Jalen's opportunity. He made the most of it. And this was the move Doug had to make for the best interest of the football team. Here's more from Doug on why he made this change at this time. I looked at the whole thing and, and um, you know, decided that that uh, for this week and, and uh, you know, to, to look for that spark again, to, to, to try to get the, the team over the hump, to try to get um, – Everybody playing better, right? And 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 obviously the quarterback position is is included there. So uh, that's really the decision that I came to, um, you know, moving forward this week. And it's just something that had to be done. Um, and Doug, you keep hearing him talk about the spark and the jumpstart things. That's the hope here, because as much as we think it is as fans, they don't look at it as the season's over. You know. Football's a different kind of sport in that regard. Um, and just, you know, when you're in it, they don't look at this as the season's over. And honestly, as crazy as it is, and I, I'm not I'm not going to get into division permutations and all this stuff because the odds of the Eagles winning the NFC East are extremely slim, but it would be pretty funny if the Eagles were to win this game, the Giants and Washington were to lose, and all of a sudden the Eagles are back to being a half game back and legitimately in this thing. Um, because they they actually would be. Um, the odds of all that happening, clearly not great, even though I do think the Giants and Washington will lose on Sunday. Um, but, you know, you, 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 you look at this team and where they are, uh, they got to try to win down the stretch, whether we think it's in their best interest long term or not. I, I don't think it's good for the culture especially for in this sport, to just tank the season. And that's not what the Eagles are doing. They're playing Jalen Hurts, not because the season could be over. As Doug, I think I think that was a poor choice of words a couple weeks ago. Um, but I, they're playing Jalen Hurts because they're trying to salvage the season. And they're trying to find out what they can uh, about Jalen at this point. Now, another part of this, um, th- this decision that I find interesting is whether Doug felt he had to ask for anybody's permission here. Now, um, here's Doug's response on whether he asked for help or whether this was completely his decision. I've been been around this, this league a long time. I've played this court, this, this position, the quarterback position at the highest level. I've been on some great teams, some championship teams. And and I just knew that, 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 uh, you know, uh, this decision was going to be mine. I didn't need to talk to, to anybody else and and so um I made I made this uh made this decision on my own. Now, you know, I'm not calling Doug Peterson a a liar. I don't think Doug is a liar, but I mean, I would be surprised if he didn't have some sort of conversation with his superiors, Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie about this decision. I mean, when you're benching your franchise quarterback that is a potentially big picture decision. Not necessarily. Doesn't have to be. But when you're putting a guy making the kind of money Carson Wentz is slated to make on the bench, it is a significant move. And maybe in the end it was Doug's decision. But I have a hard time, you know, 
believing that that he wasn't nudged to this decision at least, or that Jeffrey and Howie didn't have some sort of input. Um, and I'm not necessarily—I don't even necessarily think that's a bad thing. I, I think you know your front office it, with these kind of big picture decisions. I think it's it, it's it's understandable that they'd have some sort of input here. Um, here is more from Doug on whether this is a one-game change or whether this is going to be uh, for the rest of the season. You know, I'm not going to get into those hypotheticals right now. I, I can't predict the future. So uh, this week right now, Jalen Hurts is uh, the starter, and, and we're going to focus on that. And, I mean, pretty simple there. Just uh, you're going week by week, and that's probably the right way to approach it. I mean, unless Jalen Hurts is awful, which who knows he could be. I mean, Carson's been awful. Maybe Jalen Hurts will be as well. Um I don't see any reason for Carson to go back in if it's not an injury situation. Now, I didn't understand people saying, well, why don't you just deactivate Carson? Uh, no, I mean, Carson Wentz should be the backup quarterback. I mean, I don't know why you would just deactivate him altogether. Like like the idea of Carson Wentz is too good to be a backup. Uh, no, I mean, he, he's he's going to start on the bench. And if Jalen Hurts really that bad, maybe Carson comes in. Who knows? Um, but... You know, this is kind of a week-by-week week thing at this point. And, and obviously, the dynamics of it are challenging. And it's something we discussed way back when the selection was made, the dynamics of this decision and how it might affect Carson Wentz and how Carson and Jalen Hurts w- would interact um, this season. And, and I don't know what their relationship is like. I mean, I... I doesn't seem like they're best of friends. I I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just reading tea leaves here. Um, I don't think they dislike each other. But obviously, when you're both playing the same position, you both feel like you should be on the field, which I think they both feel like they should be on the field. I think Jalen Hurts probably watching what's going on the last couple weeks. And it's thinking, I can do better than this. I want an opportunity. And I get Carson getting benched. And if he thinks he's being affected by the play around him, um, I get Carson Wentz wanting to play. I think he probably should be able to understand why he's benched at this point. But, you know, I wouldn't want a quarterback that's just okay with being benched. So I'm actually, I actually like the fact that he shows some emotion and a, a little fire, Um, you know, after being benched, which he, he did after the game last week. But it's got to be a unique situation and kind of challenging. Here's Doug on how he handled this and when he told both Jalen and Carson about the decision. First of all, I thought it was important that, you know, obviously they they both knew uh, my decision uh, before talking about it publicly and, you know, with the media or anything like that. So I, I spent I spent Monday evening uh, talking to both of them uh, separately. Obviously, I'm not going to get into the details of that conversation, but uh, just let them both know that I'd made this decision. And yeah, I mean, I can only imagine the difficult um, nature of that conversation for Doug with with Carson, uh, because I don't think Doug Peterson dislikes Carson Wentz at all. Um, they've obviously have history together. They've had a lot of success together, um, and it had to have been a tough thing to tell Carson, "Hey, we're we're sitting you down." Um, and I'm sure it wasn't comfortable, and I'm sure Carson didn't like it. But this is a pivotal point for Carson Wentz's career. And this is, you know, an important moment, whether it continue, whether his career continues here or whether it continues elsewhere. Um, Here is Doug on, on 
getting Carson Wentz back to playing at a, a top level. You know, I, I still have a lot of belief and a lot of a lot of faith and trust in in, in Carson. And and uh, as I've said, this is not about one guy. We have a lot of things to fix offensively, but uh, but I do believe that Carson uh, will uh, will 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 get himself back to to uh, you know that championship level. And that's what everybody hopes. And honestly, I hope Carson Wentz does that, even if it's not in Philadelphia. You know, I I, I root for the guy. I think he's a good a good guy. He's been through a lot of adversity. He just hasn't played well this year. Um. And it has to be a difficult situation for him. Uh, you know, once again, going through this situation with people criticizing him and calling for the backup quarterback, this time I think much more warranted than in the past. But here is um, more from Doug talking about how Carson's handled this extremely difficult season thus far. You know, I think Carson's like like all of us right now. You know, he, he's disappointed. He's frustrated. Um, he's been a professional through it all. Um, you know, he supports his teammates and and. You know, and, that, and that's what you want to see from 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 the leader of the team. And and um, I, I know, I know sometimes the quarterback uh, gets gets a lot of the blame, just like the head coach does, right? It's the good with the bad. And and uh, I'll just go back and, and say that. Listen, it's it's not about Carson Wentz. It's not about you know one person. We we know we have issues on offense, and and it's been a been a struggle for us all season. So. You know, and and that's where that's where the frustration lies a little bit. But uh, he he's been he's been a pro about it, and um, you know uh, would expect nothing less. And I, you know, as much as I've criticized Carson, as I've said, I understand there are other issues. It's not just him, but he's also not making the issues better. He's making them worse. Like when the offensive line is is, is not very good, Carson holding the ball and stepping into sacks, you're not you're not helping them out. And when you're getting paid the way he's getting paid, that's why you're getting paid that kind of money. Because you're supposed to be a guy who can overcome this these kind of situations and help the rest of your roster out. Like, Russell Wilson, the, the line is better now for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson played behind the worst offensive line in football for years. For years. And he made them better. You know, he was able to cover up for those deficiencies. And... That's what happens when, you know, you pay a franchise quarterback. you got to make sacrifices elsewhere. That quarterback needs to make up for the deficiencies. And Carson hasn't been able to do it, and that's concerning because when you're paying that guy, that's what you need him to do. Not what you hope he can do, what you need him to do. Um, And, you know, it's also interesting for Carson here being, uh, you know, maintaining his leadership role on the team. Here's Doug on, you know, how Carson's navigating that aspect of everything. Uh, you know, look, Carson's been a big part of the success we've had. He 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 was on that championship team that that got us to that to that level, right? And and uh, even in eighteen and nineteen, when he he led the team and and obviously got us into the postseason. And I know we can we can get back to that level, but um, and that's why I have so much confidence in him and and and, and faith and and belief in Carson that uh, you know we we can get it done and and we can get it done as an offense and we can do it. You know, with him, and and that's some that's something that that gives me hope and encouragement as we uh you know as we go through and and really finish up and wrap up these last four games. And yeah, it's it, it's it's important for Carson, you know, because you know there's there's obviously a strong chance he's here beyond this year. He's got to maintain his leadership role and his professionalism, and I expect he will. I do. I, I think Carson's a good teammate in that regard, and I think he'll try to do whatever he can to to help Jalen Hurts and hopefully. Um, help this football team, even if he's not playing. And, you know, Doug was in a position somewhat similar to this. Obviously, 
Doug never held, you know, the kind of stature within this organization that Carson did. But Doug was benched back in 99. Here is Doug uh, talking about what he learned from from that experience when he was in Carson's position. You know, it it made me personally um, a better teammate. Um, It allowed me to see the game. You know, through through a different lens, a little bit from 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 watching Donovan and and, and Coy even I think started the game. Coy Demmer started the game, I think at the end of the season that year. And but 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 overall, just a, I became a better better player. You know, and and just uh, it was a great learning experience because I, I was able to take that experience to Cleveland the next year. You know, and 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 be a starter over there for a couple of games and really learn how to lead and and uh, and be a be a leader and and. And that and that's what it taught me, you know. And, and of course, it's through adversity, right? We learn. I think we learn our greatest lessons through adversity, and um, it, it just it just taught me uh, a valuable lesson at that time that is that is really you know held true uh, today. And you hope Carson can can take the same thing and and come out of this better. And I do think that's a possibility. Um, that in the end, who knows? Maybe this could be beneficial for Carson to step back, um, watch from the sideline, and and you know, hopefully move forward uh, and recover in his career better than he was, um, you know, before this benching happened. Um, When we get back, I want to play a little more from Doug um, from some of the things he had to say later in the week and also, uh, you know, him discussing the plan for Jalen Hurts this week. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, In the next segment, um, in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll uh, play for you Dave Dombrowski's uh, introductory press conference, uh, Philly's new president of baseball operations, uh, named earlier this week. Um, We'll play his press conference for you in the next hour and kind of discuss that, discuss it a little bit earlier. Um, But we will do that uh, in the 5 o'clock hour here. But... Uh, last segment, let you hear some of Doug talking about the big quarterback change this week. And as I said, some that we haven't seen happen in Philadelphia in a really long time. Uh, you know, I, I 2010 is the last time that uh, I can remember a quarterback straight up just being benched for his play. And that was Kevin Cobb after a half against Green Bay. And yeah, he got injured in that game. But, you know, Michael Vick was the better player. The Foles... Vic thing in 2013. Michael Vick really was not healthy till late in the year. He's dealing with a hamstring issue for uh, multiple months, and at that point, Foles is having a good season. You were gonna you were gonna stick with him, and you know it, it just it, this is something that doesn't normally happen. It doesn't normally happen where you bench a guy for poor play, um, and especially a guy like Carson Wentz. I, I it is still unbelievable to think that we're here that we've gotten to this point. Um, but this is where we are. And, uh, you know, we, we played you a lot of cuts last segment, Doug talking about the decision and talking about Carson's uh, side of it. But, you know, I'm I'm interested in Jalen Hurts' side of this year because I was not in favor of the pick when the Eagles made it. I was worried about some of the things that, that – have happened, even though seeing Carson fall off to this degree is is shocking. It really is shocking. Um, whether he's worried about Jalen Hurts or not, there's no excuse for falling off um, and playing the way he's played. Um, 
But I was worried about that, and I thought Jalen Hurts was a developmental prospect. I didn't think he was ready to be an NFL passer yet, um, even though he's made great strides. He made great strides between his final year at Alabama and his one season at Oklahoma, where you could tell watching him at Oklahoma, he was such a better passer. Like, he really worked hard to improve that aspect of his game where he's not just a runner, not just a college quarterback, and could be a guy that would be able to make plays in the passing game. And it got him drafted in the second round. And um, I really liked some of the things that I saw from him last week. And I'm excited to see what he has in store in a full game. I mean, this is a guy who has a really impressive resume. Now, just because you have won in college doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, we, we've seen in the past, like, a guy like um, Matt Leiner, who I thought was going to be great, uh, wasn't great, certainly. Didn't end up having much of a career. Uh, just because you're a winner in college doesn't mean you're going to have uh, a successful NFL career, but I do think there's something to be said for playing at that high level of competition. Jalen Hurts has played in championship games. He's played in college football playoff games. He, he's gone toe-to-toe with Deshaun Watson in a national title game, which was one of the best college football games I've ever seen, um, that, that championship game. I think that was the 2017 game. Or, or actually, that may have that was actually a 2016 game. The 2017 game was the one where Tua replaced Jalen Hurts. But you know, going through that part of it, then coming back the following year in the SEC title game and replacing Tua, uh, Jalen Hurts has had a fascinating career. He really has, and um, I'm excited to see what he can do in his NFL first NFL start on Sunday. Uh, here's Doug Peterson on what he wants to see from Jalen Hurts uh, on Sunday afternoon against New Orleans. You know, I just want to see development. I think I think it's a great opportunity for him, a great opportunity for the team. Um, you know, hopefully, again, once again, looking for that spark that we'll need offensively to – to maybe maybe get you know get get something going and and uh, but just just being able to get out there and get with the guys and and uh, what we've seen in practice with him running the running the uh, uh, you know the, the look teams and and of course you know last Sunday against Green Bay what he did in the, in the, in the third and fourth quarter just uh, being able to get out there and execute and uh, just this is be a great opportunity for his development uh, as a young quarterback in our system but also in this league. Yeah, and this that, that's the only way you're ultimately going to get better is is by playing. Um, playing in real games and throwing him into the fire. And, uh, you know, he doesn't seem to me like a guy who's going to get overwhelmed by the situation. Uh, he doesn't he, he doesn't seem to me like, like he's a guy who's going to get, um, you know, get, get, get intimidated. He wasn't intimidated last week at all. Um, and obviously, it, it's different once you're out there and you're facing a, a fearsome defense like New Orleans is, which we'll get to uh, in a minute here in, in a little more depth. But um, I don't think he's going to be a guy that, that, that's afraid. And that's, again, I, I think that comes from the level of competition that he has played in college and you know, going through that and playing in big games. You know, you play in big games, it prepares you for these moments. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if the offense looks different. Um, Because the offense has been stagnant. And there are a lot of reasons for that. 
It's not all on Carson, but but part of it is. Uh, here's Doug on how he thinks he can adjust the game plan to maybe benefit Jalen Hurts a little bit. You know, I, 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 without without revealing any kind of plans or details, I, I think you can you can you can uh, utilize some things that we already have, um, you know, in our in our uh, arsenal as an offense. Things that he's comfortable with, um, you know, utilize his strength, use his use his uh, athleticism a little bit. But but for the most part, I just want to see him go out and execute and and uh, and, and run the offense uh, uh, the way he knows how. And you know. I think that that's that's pretty much true. I don't think Doug will change a ton, but you know, maybe use the read option a little more. Maybe do something like that where where Jalen Hurts can use his legs or the threat of his legs uh, to really threaten the defense. Here's more from Doug on 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 that aspect and maybe helping Jalen Hurts against against the Saints. In order to get him success, right? You, you've got to you've got to attempt and try to, to to establish a little bit of the run game. That that helps, and, and and he can be he can be a part of that. I think, and um, just just go out and maybe try to find some some easy completions, right? The 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 quick game or um, a screen here and there, something that can just kind of get him get him into the flow of of the game. I, I this is this is I mean this is the number one defense. He's it's. It's no uh, no easy task. Obviously, he's facing a, a really good opponent this week. So, um, you know, it, it's it's our job as coaches. It's my job as a play caller to to try to help him that way and and uh, get into the flow of the game, and, and we'll see what happens from there. Now, I could look dumb for saying this uh, tomorrow, but I actually like the idea that Jalen Hurts is going up against the top defense. You know, I I I. I I like the fact that he comes out and immediately is playing top level competition. And um I I guess part of it comes from the fact that you don't have these extremely high expectations. Um, even though I, I do expect him to play well and move the offense. Um I, I like the fact that he's able to come out, go up against uh, you know, a, a top unit, and yeah, they could make him look silly, but uh it, it's gonna be a learning experience. And, you know, it's it's part of of every young quarterback's development is that you need to go through that and, and go up against this top-level competition sooner rather than later. And I think it's better to just get out there, go up against a good defense right away, and, and see what you can do and kind of sink or swim. Here's more on Doug, or from Doug, rather, uh, talking about the New Orleans Saints' uh, top-ranked defense. I mean, this is the number one defense. He's It's... It's no uh, no easy task. Obviously, he's facing a, a really good opponent this week. So, um, you know, it, it's it's our job as coaches. It's my job as a play caller to to try to help him that way and and uh, get into the flow of the game, and, and we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, and, you know, similar to what uh, Doug had said uh, in the last clip, but it, it's, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see him in this – sort of of position here against a defense that is this talented. And you look at a guy like Malcolm Jenkins on the back end, you know, Malcolm Jenkins, I'm sure, is coming in very motivated. And he knows this Eagles offense. And the Eagles are going to have to change up some of their calls. Because, I mean, I guarantee you, Malcolm Jenkins has been educating that New Orleans defense all week on what to expect, what certain words in the Eagles system mean um, and you know the Eagles better change some of that stuff up 
uh, because you know, what, what we know about Malcolm Jenkins is he's as smart as as any player in the NFL. Um, and if the Eagles don't address that kind of stuff, um, you know, they're going to know what the Eagles are running. Uh, and, and I think that's also a benefit to having Jalen Hurts in there is, you know, give a different look, especially when you do have a guy on Matt, like Malcolm on the other side who, you know, is so familiar with your offense and how it runs under Carson. Um, so I, I think that part of it is is going to be is is going to be fun to watch, um, and I, I'm looking forward to it. Now, a couple more things I want to get to real quick uh, before we get to Dave Dombrowski in the next segment. Um, a lot of of criticism on Doug and the organization has come not from Carson remaining in the lineup, but also from two of the older players, Alshon Jeffrey and Jason Peters. Uh, as we told you, Jason Peters done for the year. He is not going to play uh, the rest of the season and and I think should be done for his career, certainly his career in Philadelphia. Uh, but also Alshon Jeffrey, who inexplicably is playing over Travis Fulgham. Here is Doug on, on you know how, where Alshon is right now. As you look for a spark on offense, are there changes you're going to make elsewhere, I, I think specifically with, with Jason Pierce and Alshon Jeffrey? Well, with those two guys, you know, um, I got to see uh, – today just how they how they're feeling i mean both those guys are sore and and i uh, haven't made a made a firm commitment yet either way so you know doug saying i haven't made a firm decision i mean alshon jeffrey should not play he, he should not play um it looks like he's going to uh which is disappointing um but there's just no there, there's no benefit there's no benefit. And him playing the last couple of weeks has been so frustrating. And I don't think that's Doug's call. I really don't. I think this is a um this is a front office decision and uh it's 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 a poor decision. It is. Uh I know you're paying him. You're doing wrong by your football team. You're doing the wrong thing by your football team to put Alshon Jeffrey on the field and you're putting your coach in a bad spot. And you know, I, I, you know, I, I think of all the people this year who I feel have been unfairly criticized. I think Doug is the one who's been unfairly criticized the most. I, I, Doug Peterson is a good coach. We know this. Yet people seem to think he's just forgotten how to coach overnight, which, which I just don't understand. Um, but here is uh, 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 something I want to play for you. Here is Jim Schwartz. Uh, talking about Doug and, you know, the rest of the team and the staff having Doug's back in the midst of this really difficult season. Yeah, I mean, uh, all experience helps. I mean, I think the whole staff um, has Doug's back, and um, we know what he's going through, and, and, and we feel the pressure on ourselves to go do our jobs better, to take, uh, to take some, of the, some of the heat off of him. And I think that, um, you know, that's what a good staff does. Um, Doug's had our back in the past. We have his back. Um, you know, so I think it all works together that way. I think everybody just needs to be more efficient at their job. Everybody, everybody needs to, um, you know, recognize their part in it. Um, like I said, this last game, I thought there were opportunities for us to make, you know, we, we got back in the game, started, started, um, you know, making some plays, getting some stops, um, you know, and had a chance, um, 
you know, maybe to get the ball back one more time and, and didn't do it. You know, we had a good run stop and blitz going and we gave up a 70 yard touchdown run. So, um, we, we can, we can do our part better to help out the offense, to help out the head coach, um, to help out the team. Now, I think Jim Schwartz knows, you know, some of the things that have been said about him in the past, um, maybe trying to circumvent Doug's power and, and things of that nature. Uh, but, you know, you hope that's true, that they do have his back? Because I, I think Doug has been really, uh, you know, kind of unfairly criticized this year in a, a lot of regards. And to get back to Jalen Hurts real quick, um, you know, excited to see him out there. Here was Jalen Hurts talking about uh, going up against this difficult New Orleans defense. They have a lot of great players, uh, fast, physical football team, um, and they play really hard. So uh, we're, we're playing against a great def- defense this week, and um, we got to do what we can on this side to um, control the controllables, you know, control our effort, control our, our execution, control our mindset and go into it the right way and go go out there and play a, a hard for our game. And, you know, one thing that strikes me about Jalen Hurts is I do think he's confident. I think he's confident. I think he's ready to go. And hopefully he's up to this challenge. And, you know, obviously one of the guys that he is going to be working closely with and one of the other leaders on this team is Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey made remarks earlier in the week kind of sticking up for Carson Wentz. And that's that's what you want out of your leader to – you know, defend your guys. And, and whether it's Carson's fault or not, whether they feel it is or not, uh, I like what Jason Kelsey said to take ownership uh, for, because it is on everybody ultimately. But now Jalen Hurts is the guy, and now it falls on Jason Kelsey to help Jalen Hurts. And that's what he will do as a leader. Here is uh, Jason Kelsey on Hurts facing the Saints defense. This is a really, really good defense. Um, you know, they've played well this year. They have a great front. They have a good secondary. I mean, they're good across the board. Um uh, you know, you, you try and make things as simple as you can for a, a young player going in, not overcomplicate things, let him go out there and play free. Uh, and um, But at the same time, you can't be so simplified that, you know, the defense knows exactly what's going on. So, you know, that's that's the line that they're all going to be fighting this week, I'm sure, is trying to, uh, you know, give him the ability to go out there and play and not have to overthink things. And, yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're going to have to try to somewhat simplify it and Apparently, Eagles have tried to simplify the offense the last few weeks anyway. But for Jalen Hurts, let him be out there. Let him play free, as Jason Kelsey said. And one more from Kelsey here, as you know, the Eagles potentially, uh, probably not going to the postseason this year, even though, as I said, a win and a Giants and Washington loss, and all of a sudden, they're actually right back in this thing, as insane as that sounds. Um, But here's one more from Jason Kelsey talking about owing it to the fans to continue to go out and and play hard in the face of this brutal season. When you see decisions like this being made are when you're trying, you know, you're trying to get something going. We owe it to the fan base to figure something out. Um, However, you know, whether it's too late or not, you know, you still keep working. You still keep fighting and you still keep trying to grind out and figure out what's going on. And you still keep trying to freaking win. There you go. You just keep trying to freaking win, and hopefully the Eagles will finally do that on Sunday. I think they will. As I said, I'm picking them 24-20. When we get back, we will actually play for you Dave Dombrowski, uh, the uh, new Phillies president of baseball operations, his press conference on Friday. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for another hour here. Um, And obviously talking a lot of Eagles so far on the show tonight. As I told you earlier, I am predicting an Eagles victory on on Sunday. Um, I don't think the Eagles are a better team than the New Orleans Saints, uh, clearly. Uh, But I think they're going to get a jolt from Jalen Hurts stepping in. I think the team is going to play with a lot of energy. A lot of times you'll get that from a quarterback change, at least in the short term, whether any of this is sustainable. um, I'm not sure. (laughs) Obviously, the Eagles could come out and get whacked uh, on Sunday, but I don't expect that to happen. I I think this team is going to come out. I think they're going to play hard. I think they are going to play with an urgency that we haven't seen in weeks. And, hey, I think Jalen Hurts is going to play well. I do. And we'll see. You know, we'll we'll see with the offense how it moves and will this – be the determining factor whether whether Carson Wentz is the problem, Doug Peterson's play calling, offensive line. No, you can't tell anything from from one game definitively in that regard. But, I mean, I've been on record for a while saying I think Carson Wentz has been the biggest issue with the Eagles offense this year. And I think Jalen Hurts will have more success, certainly, than Carson has had this year. But that remains uh, to be seen. Um, and uh, excited for this game on Sunday, uh, really for the first time, in a while, but this hour, I want to dedicate specifically the Phillies uh, with Dave Dombrowski and the press conference uh, from Friday. I want to play the press conference, the first couple segments, and we will wrap up the show in the final segment um, by uh, kind of dissecting some of the things Dave Dombrowski had to say and my overall opinion of it. But here is part one of the Dave Dombrowski press conference from Friday afternoon. Hi, Dave. Congratulations. Welcome to Philadelphia. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. What was the sales pitch? I know that you were, you know, you're in trying to do this thing in Nashville. And how did John Middleton lure you to Philadelphia? Well, it's a it's a great question. And it probably takes a little bit of an explanation. So uh, moving here to Nashville is part of the really the, the thought process of Music City Baseball to be part of the community here to try to bring Major League Baseball through expansion or relocation here to eventually be the National Stars Baseball Club. So I joined the venture. I've been consulting throughout the past year and moved here in the beginning of September with my wife. Um, we rented a place and building a home. Really with the thought process that we are going to make with our group, try to, to bring a club here to be in a position where we did all the things in a proper fashion to hopefully make a presentation to Major League Baseball uh, at the winter meetings in 2021. Maybe they'll be talking about expansion just to be ready, try to get a ballpark location, investors involved, diversity, all of that. Well, really focused on that. I had a couple of clubs reach out to me during the fall, and I thanked them because I've always loved being the head of a baseball operation, the general manager, president of baseball operations but told them I was really committed here at that point. Um, so the Phillies were one of the clubs that had reached out to me a, a couple times. Um, I know Andy McVale for years, we're very good friends. He reached out to me and I told him exactly what I just told you. And he called me as latest last Saturday with kind of reaching out once again. Um, he left me a message and said that uh, John Middleton would like to talk to me. Um, so just when John calls me not to be surprised, um, I got that message on Monday, John and I talked Tuesday morning, but in the meantime, what had happened, got some information from major league baseball, um, through the commissioner's office, 
on Monday and in turn on Tuesday, that the time frame we were hoping for here in Nashville, although a premium market, top market, to me, this is going to happen here. Uh, it's a situation where the timing due to COVID, um, the uncertainties facing the game, it wasn't going to take place in the time frame of 2021 presentations and time frame to be determined, push back a little bit. Well, with that, my responsibilities, what I need to do would be diminished, not really much to do this coming year. And just so happened, and, and again, it's a coincidence situation that John called me on Tuesday in the morning and talked to me for about an hour to try to keep an open mind about coming to Philadelphia. He did not think himself from what he knew that expansion was going to take place um, in the near future, down the road, but not in the near future. So he talked at great length for about an hour. Um, once I got the additional information, also spoke to, to Andy. And then John talked to me again on Wednesday morning. Um, and so did Andy. And so it really came down to a very quick situation, but it was really John Middleton. And, um, and again, I've, I've known Andy for years, so feel very comfortable in that regard. But it was John reaching out and really trying to make me part of the Phillies organization. I feel very comfortable with him. I've known him throughout the years. He's a great reputation. Uh, I think he's a great owner. He's very, you know, wants to win. He's a Philadelphia fan. He'll do what he can to win. Um, and somebody that I look forward to working with. So um, that was really the story behind it. Hey, Dave, congratulations. Thank you. I, I wanted to ask you, do you have, do you consider this, first of all, a rebuild or a retool? And do you have any assurances that you'll have the financial flexibility to spend as you desire? And will you bring in a general manager? Well, I consider it a retool, not a rebuild, for sure. I mean, there, I think there's too many good players on the club. And the way I've looked at it, I mean, uh, we have a star player in right field and, and Bryce and some other good players around him. But anytime you have three good starting pitchers like we have at the top of the rotation, um, you're in pretty good shape to be competitive. Now, there's other things that need to be done. When you talk about Nola and Wheeler and Eflin, that's a good place to start with some other arms behind them. So I think it's a retool. Uh, now, when I say this, uh, I know John wants to win. We have flexibility of finances. But when I say that, I don't think it's unlimited amount of funds. I mean, you always realize there's some type of budget um, attached to that. We will work within that. But we're also more, we want to win this year. We'll do what we can. We've got a great manager in Joe Girardi. He's won a commitment to that. But I think it's more important, too, that we build an organization that can be competitive year in, year out. So that'll really be the focus in addition trying to win. So I don't look at this as a situation where we're one player away from winning. I think we need to do a few things with this team. And I really don't want to be sacrificing people that might be part of our future success um, for short-term gains if it's not the difference maker in trying to be a championship club. And as far as the GM, Dave? Oh, I'm sorry about the GM. That's a great, you know what? I don't really know that answer um, because I, I really want a chance to get to know the people in the organization. My instincts are that there's a strong likelihood, but I don't want to make that 100% commitment until I get to know the individuals better. I know them, almost everybody uh, at the upper level, but have, of course, never worked with them. 
want to know responsibilities and who's in the office and, and who does what before I make that decision. All right, next up, we'll go to Todd Zalecki from MLB.com and then Jamie Apodi from Channel 6. Hi, Dave. Um, hey, uh, just like for clarification purposes there, is, is your ex expectation that payroll will decrease at, to some extent this season that you'll be dealing with more of a fixed budget? Because um, I think the, of course, the when people heard you got the job, they said, okay, the Phillies are going to unload here and just start spending money like crazy. And I think a lot of people have reported the opposite to be true that, uh, they, you know, budgets, budgets are still expected to drop. Payrolls is still expected to drop to an extent. Well, I know that where the payroll was last year. And of course, when you talk about COVID and everything taking place in the number of free agents we have, I, I wouldn't expect it to be at that same amount as last year. Um, John, and when I talk to him and from what I've heard from individuals and, and what he's expressed to me, I know what it is now, where it is. Um, there's flexibility to do things, but I think we'll look at each and every move in an intelligent fashion. And if something makes sense, we'll react to that. But I don't by any means come in here and think we have an unlimited amount to spend. And, and I think you have to be careful. And I, again, I know what times what people say and, and expectations are, but I think you make moves to try to win when you think they make sense and you add payroll when they make sense to make a difference. And depending where you are as organizations, um, those things come at different time periods. So over the last time period for myself, I've been with clubs that have won, unfortunately, and I say this to win quite a bit, um, seven of the last nine years of divisional champions. But you know, I've also, there was a time where um, we built clubs too. I mean, I was with Detroit when we built that organization and then spend money. And so I think it's more of doing things in a smart fashion, working with people within your organization, making intelligent decisions. And in John's case, he's on board with that. And I, the thing that's impressive to me, as you can tell, he wants to win, but let's have a plan and let's approach things. I, I have no idea. I don't think anybody knows where this free agent market is going this winter time. You've seen very few people sign. And it'll be interesting to see what takes place and, and what we end up doing. Do you see enough flexibility in your mind or is there enough flexibility or is there a path to A, bring back JT Real Muto and then B, supplement the rest of the roster with some complementary pieces to build a winning team? Can you do both? I don't know that um, because I really haven't gotten into specific questions. I do know the first part. Uh, everybody in the organization loves JT. I mean, that's anybody I talk to. So I think there's a unanimous feeling they'd like to bring them back. Now, those things are never easy. We've always dealt with, a lot of us have dealt with free agent markets in the past, but that feeling is um, mutual from John on down through the rest of the staff. So there is some flexibility to make moves there, but again, can you get something like done, like that done? I'm not really not sure. Okay, thanks. Sure. Uh, hi, Dave, welcome to Philadelphia. Uh, Thank virtually, you. I guess. Um, so this fan base, I'm sure you're, you're well-versed in, uh, they like to win here in Philly. And um, when, you know, Bryce Harper arrived and then Joe Girardi arrived, I think the expectation was playoffs for sure. And then that didn't happen. Um, what is your time frame? I mean, you said you've had, you've run so many successful franchises. You know, are, are we, you talked about a bit of a retool. You talked about building for the future. Um, you know, what are your expectations for this team next season? Can they put up, a playoff caliber team on the field? Well, I think the answer to that is, yeah. I mean, I want to win too. We all want to win. 
but you also want to do things that you just don't sacrifice your long-term unless you think you're a championship caliber club. And I think it's too early for me to answer that question yet, but I don't think from my conversations with anybody and I'm speaking with John, speaking with, with Andy, speaking with Joe Girardi, speaking with Ned, speaking with me. And I have, uh, and we'll speak to many more people. I don't think anybody thinks like we're a player away. I mean, we, we have some holes to plug. How can we do that? I think only time will tell trade conversations taking place, uh, free agency out there with an uncertain market. So do we want to win? Yes. Do we have, there's some good clubs in the division, as you know, I mean, Braves have a good young club. They, they've won the division here a couple of years and, and they're good. You see the Mets have made a big move. Um, Washington world champion a couple of years ago, the Marlins an improving team, but I think we're in a position where we have a lot of nice pieces to win. Um, but we're going to have to do some other things to make it successful. And it's what we're going to try to do. Okay. Next up, we'll go to Scott Lauber from the Inquirer and then Mega Montemiro from the Athletic. Hi, Dave. Hey, Scott. How you doing? Good. How are you? Um, Good, you. So I, I'm just curious, you know, today's December 11th, you know, and normally you start to build a team in the off season uh, a couple months earlier than this. And with the work you've been doing in Nashville, um, on the expansion on a, on trying to get a franchise there, how much kind of sort of getting up to speed in a hurry uh, is there going to be now for you? What's, what's the next few weeks going to look like just in terms of getting to where you want to want to understand the organization at a level where you can take the next steps? Well, there won't be a lot of sleep involved over the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I've done this before. There, there's a lot to be done. I mean, it's just, and you're right. You're walking into the middle of it in, in December where a lot of things are already taking place. So you have to get up to par very quickly. I've already had a long conversation yesterday with, with Ned Rice, who's able to fill me in on a lot of up, up-to-date information. Um, he's sending me more. I had a long conversation with Joe Girardi yesterday. Uh, I've had a long conversation with uh, Andy McPhail about their feelings of the club, what our needs are. Got many more phone calls to make as far as members of the organization are concerned to get their thought processes. I've already received, I bet you, from uh, at least half the general managers in Major League Baseball. You know, welcome back. Congratulations. Um, let's talk. Um, so I'll get up to speed with those conversations with Ned, who's been having most of them at this time. But there's a lot to be done. It just, I mean, that's the way it is. It's getting to know your personnel within your own organization, not only trying to improve your club on the field, but I have a, to, need to get to know a lot of people in the front office and of course, the challenge is not only getting to know them, but getting to know them in a Zoom environment. So, um, but it'll be a busy time period. I look forward to it. Uh, it's one um, that it's extremely important because you win with good organizations. Always have believed that it starts at the top with the owner. I'm impressed. I bet you I've spoken to John Middleton 15 times in the last year, going through, of course, contractual stuff. And it's been great to, to talk to him, to talk to Andy McPhail but starts at the top and goes through the whole organization. And I know there's a lot of good people in the organization. I've heard that for years, had a lot of respect for them, but it's getting to know people on a firsthand basis because they need to get to know me too. Hi, Dave. Um, you know, one of the challenges the <clears throat> Phillies have faced um, the last few years and even, you know, beyond the previous regime has been 
developing players and the farm system. Um, so how do you tackle the evaluation of that um, with, with something that obviously has so much implications for the, the success of the, you know, big league team, you know, not only in 21, but beyond that? Well, again, that's a great question. I mean, how do you go about it? First of all, you get to know the personnel that you're in your organization. Secondly, um, that's that's involved in the development and scouting. I've heard, of course, there's been changes in the scouting and player development the last couple of years too. And I've heard a lot of good things about the new individuals involved. I don't know them personally, um, but I've heard a lot of good things about them. Just getting to know them. Um, they've also added some pretty good, when you look at, and I know a lot of times people take a, a beating when it comes to this, but at least we added bomb last year at third base. You got a guy like Howard coming into the rotation. Um, I mean, I was, this is just me watching because I don't see it as much. I loved the Phillies' number one draft choice last year. Well, I mean, he I, as impressive as could be. So you get to know the personnel. I need to look at as many reports as, as on our young players as we can. Probably look at some video, having a chance to look at them myself. Um, but that's what you have to do, and you try to do it as quickly as you possibly can. We'll go to Matt Gelb from The Athletic and then Jim Salisbury from NBC Sports. Dave, how many changes to the front office do you anticipate this offseason or is that less of a priority for you as you try to do this remotely or will, will you be in Philadelphia? How will that work? Well, I'll come to Philadelphia um, at some point when I can meet with people. Um, so, you know, as far as I guess right now, it's a Zoom world, so you can do that from anywhere. But I'm sure I will be there at some point. I asked a question the other day and they said, nobody's coming into the office. It's just not that environment. Now, from my own perspective and not that it's a big ordeal, I've already had COVID. I had it like a month ago and have worked through it, um, but it was not an easy couple of weeks, but I'm, I've got antibodies now. So if any of you see me, you don't have to be afraid that you're going to catch it from me. Um, I still wear my mask when I'm, I'm out and about, but you know, I, I don't anticipate, um, you know, I went into Boston a few years ago. We really didn't make any major changes right off the bat. And, and I hear the same thing about the Phillies that I did with Boston. It's getting to know people. Maybe you make adjustments and responsibilities at times. But like I talked about general manager. Do we add one? Do we not add one? I'm not sure of that right now. But I, it's really not my style to come in and make a bunch of changes. I think it's more appropriate to give people an opportunity and see how they perform and, and get a chance to work with them. And hopefully we don't make any changes, but I don't anticipate walking in there right now and making any changes with anybody right now. And you're inheriting in what's kind of an unusual situation for you. It's a, it's a higher payroll with a bit of an underachieving roster and, and it's consensus bottom 10 farm system in the game. It's a little different than the, the previous iterations of teams you've encountered. What, what kind of challenge does that present for you? that sort of different state that the organization is in? Well, usually when you go into an organization, um, there's a reason why you go in, right? The club's been struggling for a little bit. So for whatever reason, um, so it becomes a challenge, which is fine. I mean, it's, it's different because when I went to, and I'll just go throughout, when I went to Florida, that was different, right? Complete expansion franchise. You build it up from the very beginning, which we did. And you're building and building and building and you get to the point where you win and then we tore it down and then built it again. And it worked out fine. They ended up winning a world championship. When I went to Detroit, we were 
that was an organization that had lost a lot of years in a row that didn't have much talent at that point at the major league level or at the minor league level, really. And it really took a complete revamping. And we ended up taking some years to do that and ended up in the World Series about five years later. Uh, now you go to, to Boston at the point, well, it's a little bit different. Um, you got a tremendous amount of young talent around the field, but the club had, after winning a championship in 13, had finished in last place in 14 and 15 too. I mean, people only kind of remember the, the end of it. But we didn't have much pitching uh, at the, in the organization. And really, if you look back now, how many of the pitchers that were there in the organization at the time, um, how many of them have been successful big league pitchers elsewhere? So we needed to add pitching. So every time you go somewhere, things need to be done. What I have found too is that, um, and, I, and I'll tell the story and I, I've told it before, but people run with reputations at times. And so sometimes their talent's better than what you think it is but you don't know what it is because the reality is who's scouting all that talent. So I'll give you an example. And it goes back many, many years ago. It was when I was first general manager, I was with the Montreal Expos. So I'm sitting there. It's my first, like my first year. And, um, and I'm reading in the morning at, there and they're ranking the 14 out there, 14 clubs in the national league at that time, Montreal Expos outfield, they ranked 14th in the National League. And I'm thinking, well, I think we're a little bit better than that. They're young players. Well, what was the outfield? Moises Alou in left, Marquise Grissom in center, and Larry Walker in right. So you have to take those things with a grain of salt at times, and hopefully you evaluate your own players better than anyone and be realistic with your evaluations. So those are all the challenges of being part of an organization. I'm looking forward to doing that. Well, that's part one of the Dave Dombrowski press conference, Philly's new president of baseball operations. We'll have part two coming up next right here on Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, we let you hear part one in the last segment. Here is part two of the press conference uh, introducing Philly's new president of baseball operations, Dave Dombrowski. Hi, Dave. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so perfect segue. You bring up scouting and evaluating your own guys. Um, John Middleton spearheaded a movement to uh, – Build an analytics department here, spent an awful lot of money on it, um, adding personnel and technology and whatnot, and they use it up and down the system. Um, will you feel pressured to use that? How much will you use that data, the, that analytics, that technology in, in building your roster and, and building an organization in general, or will you lean more uh, your reputation is as a scouting guy? Will you lean more on your scouts? How do you play that, that sure. balance? Right. Great question. Um, and again, I know you get reputations. Um, when we were in Detroit uh, over the last few years, we spent the majority of our payroll on the big league roster. That's just what we did. We were trying to win. We had an owner that had owned the team for a while that was up in, and that was our focus. We had a very small analytic department on a couple people. And, it, and but it really, um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's your philosophy. It's what you're, you're doing. So when we went to Boston, when I went to Boston, 
Um, we actually incorporated analytics basically everywhere. Now, when I went there at first, and you can check with people from Boston, I had um, the, the analytics department, which was up front when it first started in analytics, had really kind of fallen behind. They really hadn't made many adjustments in recent years. Not as many people as they normally did, hadn't been advanced in some areas. And we really built that back. Um, and I was all encouraging in that regard. I think it, you get whatever information that you possibly can. And there's a lot of good information that you receive. We had a gentleman by the name of Zach Scott, who was, was assistant general manager at the time, did a great job in building up our analytics department. We added people in analytics. And analytics was involved in player development, scouting, amateur and professional, big league aspect of it basically everywhere we were and they were involved in all of our meetings. So I'm very much for it. How I use, this is how I try to do it. I tried to equally use scouting and analytics. Some people may favor scouting strictly. Some people may favor analytics strictly. I believe in combining both of them and then working together and using whatever information you possibly can to make the best judgment. So I welcome it. Uh, I very much welcome whatever information we have. And I'm just, again, I, you're, you're older. I mean, I, so you're not supposed to believe it and you hear these reputations. Um, that, that is not a, an accurate assessment because I'm very supportive of all that type of information and uh, we'll continue to do so. Will you bring any scouts with you? And the Phillies recently let some go. Any chance you possibly would bring some back? Well, you know, that's a tough question. First of all, I, I, the, the scouts, nobody wanted to let anybody go from the organization. I mean, that's a COVID-related situation. Mm -hmm. It's sad. It's the economics. Um, I know that the scouts that were retained are good scouts. I don't even know at this point, I haven't talked to the pro scouting director, Mike Ando, at this point, how their responsibilities are supposed to be divvied at this time. Who's covering what leagues? Who's doing what? I haven't even talked to them at that point. But I would say right now would be doubtful with the number of layoffs that we had that we would add more people at this time. It's just philosophically doesn't seem to make much sense. But John has again indicated, you know, he's willing to work and do what is what we think is right. But I'm going to guess that that's probably, um, even though I'm very much towards scouting, probably not something we're going to do. And if I could just ask you real quick, I'm sorry to hold you up. Um, no, you know, I'm here. Matt Clintac's under contract for two more years. Does he have sure. any role in your? Does he have any role in your front office? Well, I spoke to Matt yesterday. Actually, um, I've known Matt for years. I have a great deal of respect for him. He's a very smart individual. Um, he said he would help however he possibly could. I talked to him about some things, and I, I said, you know what, I would love to consult with you more and have you to, to talk to you. So yes, I mean, I'll use Matt. I'll see what he feels comfortable doing. The one, I mean, it was interesting because Matt is. He said, Dave. I want the Phillies to win. I, I want to see them win. Anything I can do to help you, I want to do. So just ask me anything. So I will talk to Matt uh, in the future. Um, what role he'll fill, I guess we'll again wait and see and how many different, who's doing what at this point, which I don't know of everybody yet. But yeah, I have a great deal of respect for Matt and would hope to have him part of the decision-making process when we talk about things. Thanks much, Dave. Sure. Okay, we'll go to uh, Bob Brookover from the Inquirer and then Jason Stark from the Athletic. Hey, David, I have a couple of questions. One following up on Jim there a little bit. What do you think is the uh, most important or, or what most useful analytics information for you 
uh, as a as the guy who's making the final call on players? Well, that's a very um, most useful. That's that's a very difficult question because the reality is when you put together how we put together our analytics is they have their own analytical devices that they use and they present to you the final now the final outcome of their decision making process i mean and we've all got spin rates and all those things now and we talk about every organization uses those but it's i've also been involved when you're talking about delivery angles and you're talking about analytics as far as projecting contracts for the future age it's basically involved everywhere and what's interesting to that is I have had conversations with analytics people in the Boston organization who are very intelligent. And when you ask, analyze this player, you don't get the same exact analyzation, even though you're using numbers from two different people, because some weigh some factors more than they weigh others. So somebody may talk about the spin rate on a breaking ball being more important than the spin rate on a the fastball, and, and so you can go on and on in that regard. So really, I think it's a matter of using all of that type of information in your organization. And if you say specify one, I really couldn't give you one thing that I say is the most useful. And, and the other question is, how difficult is it to fix a broken bullpen, which the Phillies obviously was last season? Yeah, it was not a, by no means was a strength by a means of the organization. I mean, it's, um, well, that, that's, you know, it's, I guess the good part of it is that usually if there's an area that you can fix that somebody comes through in the short term, it's bull, it is a bullpen. We need multiple people out there to try to help us. We have some young arms that are developing that may fit out there, but um, you know, we're going to try. We'll try. And I know that just last year they didn't have much luck in anything they did. They made that deal with the Red Sox. It didn't work out but we'll be in a position where um, I'm sure we'll be very aggressive in adding arms and um, we'll hopefully be successful in helping it. Thanks. Sure. Hey, hey Dave, welcome. Thank you, Jason. Nice to see you. Likewise. Um, you've traded a lot of prospects yeah. in your day and um, it, it strikes me that your approach has been, I don't care so much who I'm giving up if I'm getting the guy back that I really want, that our team really needs. Is that a, uh, a fair assessment of your philosophy on trading prospects? Yes, to an extent. And I hate to tell like what my whole philosophy is because you don't want to tip your hands. It's like that. But the other thing I think that goes into that, and, I, and it's always interesting is, and, I, and I'll tell you, I'm a firm believer in young players. I love young players. So the question, so for example, in Boston, when we won, well, Raphael Devers was young, we broke him in. Andrew Benatendi was young, we broke him in. We had some young, Eduardo Rodriguez was there, he ended up developing for us. So we had some, so the question becomes, which young players do you trade? So, I, I mean, I don't want, I would trade 10 young players if we didn't think any of them could play for a guy that we really liked. So sometimes it's not quantity as far as much as you think is quality. And for example, when you trade for Chris Sale, we knew we were giving up quality. We knew Moncada and, and Kopech had great 
future ahead of him. And I still think he does even her. So, but we knew in Mokata, we were trading somebody that was going to be a good major league player. So I think it's important when people, when you talk about that, sometimes, and, and I'm going to go back a long time ago. Um, maybe you could relate to this because you've uh, been around like that. I remember I was when a young guy with the Boston Red Sox, I was with the White Sox and the Boston Red Sox organization, their minor leagues always had bad records. And our, our, the depth of prospects were not great. But every year, they produce good big league players, especially offensive players at that time. I remember asking our, our, my mentor, Roland Heeman, at that time, Hi, what's going on in the scouting? Well, he said, well, they do a great job at producing a player or two every year that are really good players. And if you go back in that time frame, you'll look at the number of good players they brought up. So sometimes it's not the depth. And I know that rankings sometimes take that into play, but philosophically, I think it's more important, this is me, not only who you get, which is the most important, but what you also give up as far as the quality is concerned. And is there one trade, any of those trades, um, back in your rearview mirror, uh, some prospect that you traded that you would like to have that deal back? Oh gosh, I'm sure there is, because um, we've all made plenty of bad deals. Um, well, I mean, now it depends. On, I, I mean, like I know a, um, a bad deal that I made, which I hate to, you know, you don't want to tell people the bad stuff you're doing because you're hopefully doing more good stuff. When I was with um, Detroit and we traded Suarez at the time and we traded him for uh, Alfredo Simon at the time, um, he was a guy that was, you know, we needed a plug in a starter making that type of money. And we figured Suarez was behind our other infielders and we had some depth there. But it, it was not a justifiable trade. I mean, it, afterwards, it was not a good trade. Um, I mean, I re, when you look back, and again, the game was a lot different. Um, again, not. I mean, you're going to be saying these things, and you say, "Geez, this guy's a bum. Why did we hire him?" You know, right? I mean, we're talking about it. But we we traded Randy Johnson at one time. You know, I mean, when I was back in Montreal, and we didn't regret it at the time because Randy wasn't quite there. We had an owner that wanted to win. We got Mark Langston who was the best pitcher in the National League that particular year, um, led the league in earn run average. He pitched great for us. We ended up not re-signing him. We got a couple of draft choices, one who was Rondell White, and um, Gabe White was the other. We'll go to Ken Davidoff and then circle back to Matt Gilb. Hey, Dave. Congratulations. Thanks, Ken. Welcome back to the East. Thank you um, very much. <laughs> um, just you mentioned Joe Girardi a couple of times. Obviously, you've, you've gotten head to head uh, with him for a long time. Just, just your your thoughts of him as a, as an adversary, and now uh, getting to work with him. Well, first of all, I've always thought he's a, a very good baseball man and really good manager. When we played against him, um, you knew that he knew how to handle the ball club, handle his pitching staff. Uh, they were always prepared, played hard, played well, and. Um, they won too. I mean, they had a good club. So I was always impressed with Joe. Um, he's also a person I've gotten to know throughout the years. I mean, I really liked him. Um, I know he's a good baseball man, very intelligent, um, good family man. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's, um, we're thrilled to have him. So I'm just, um, I, I think he's a championship type of manager. And that's what you look to have in every position. So we're fortunate. Thank you, Dave. You're welcome.
David, he's not involved in the day-to-day anymore, but have you reached out or will you reach out to Pat Gillick to get his 10,000-foot view, sort of the organization he can maybe tell it like it is? Oh, for sure. I mean, I have not reached out to him yet. I just haven't had a chance to pick up the phone and call him. And he, as well as 25 other people in the organization yet. But yes, for sure. I've known Pat for years. I mean, since I started, I mean, back in 1978, um, I consider him actually a friend throughout the time periods. Uh, so when uh, I've been around him, I know his wife, Doris, um, Pat's a very, he's one of the best baseball men in, in my time frame in the game. So I definitely will reach out to Pat and welcome his feedback on everything. As well as I get to, there's other advisors. I'm very, you know, you got Charlie Manuel, you got um, Larry Boas that's there. Um, so there's some impressive people that I'll look forward to having conversations uh, when time allows. Okay, we got time for a few more. We will go to uh, Ron Blum and then Howard Megdal. Hi, Dave. Congratulations. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate it. Looking back over four decades, how have your views of how to assemble a club changed both because of how the way the game is played and having nothing to do with the changes in the game? Who? Is that how long I've been in the game? Four decades? It's a little scary, huh? Um, well, you know, I, I think it's, that's, I mean, it's a great question. I have to contemplate. I, I think um, I've always believed in pitching. I've always believed in power arms. Um, and it was something that was I, I grew up with with the White Sox organization. We had a lot of good young pitching at that time. Richard Dotson, Britt Burns, Lamar Hoyt, and, and the list kind of went on. So Paul Richards was in charge there. So I've always liked that aspect of it. I've always put an emphasis on it. Um, I, I'm, one place where I will say I'm a little old fashioned compared to what contemporary is I still like our starters to give us six to seven innings. You know, I like, especially if you're a good starting pitcher, I like seven innings out of a starting pitcher, but I also don't believe seven innings in 140 pitches either. I mean, there's a pitch limit. So um, I do believe in that a great deal. I think you can, that you win with starting pitching. And I don't know if people can win with bullpens too, but I do like good starting pitching. And that was the Dave Dombrowski introductory press conference in its entirety uh, in the last couple segments um, that we let you uh, hear from the Phillies' new president of baseball operations. So we'll come back. We'll close out the show and kind of give you a little recap of that press conference. And I'll, I'll once again give you my take on the hire of Dave Dombrowski. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly here with you for one final segment. Um, and we let you let you hear the uh, Dave Dombrowski press conference in this hour as he was formally introduced on Friday afternoon uh, to the city of Philadelphia, to the assembled media um, as the Phillies new president of baseball operations. And, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit earlier. I'll give you my final take on it again if you missed um, what we discussed earlier on in the show. But you you look at this move, and 
I mean, I, I guess there's been a bit of a mixed reaction to it. I, I mean, I, I, some people seem to like the fact that the Phillies bring in a guy who has experience. I mean, Dave Dombrowski is a baseball guy, been around for a long time. He's had success. Um, if you base it off his press conference, um, which I think is always dangerous, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. I mean, let's just, for comparison's sake, you know, not that it's it's it, you can really do any worse than the Phillies have done in press conferences of late, be it, you know, Andy McPhail and his, you know, every time he comes out and speaks an embarrassment. Um, I guess we don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, John Middleton and the ridiculous things he says. Um, yeah, by comparison's sake, Dave Dombrowski looks good. I mean, he's a guy who has a, a long history in Major League Baseball, has had success. Um, but, and and some people will try to talk themselves into the fact that this is a, a, a good move. But it just doesn't make sense for where the Phillies are at. It doesn't make sense for where the Philadelphia Phillies are that this would be the person that they would hire. It's just not the right fit. When you look at an organization that, by the owner's own admission, like, this is what's so amazing to me at how short-sighted John Middleton could be. By his own admission, John Middleton said when he came out and, and reassigned Matt Klintak that this organization has had a problem for, what do you say, 100 years, I believe? He said this organization has had a problem for 100 years in developing players, in building a farm system. And... You were going to come out after, you know, failing to rebuild your farm system when that was your main objective under Andy McPhail and Matt Klintak, and you're going to hire a guy who that's not his specialty at all. And I'm not telling you Dave Dabrowski uh, is, is, you know, a, a terrible baseball guy and that he'd be a disaster in every job. That that's That's not true. In certain situations... He is a good fit. In certain situations, he could have success. When you look at, you know, the fact that when he was with Detroit, he was able to spend and bring that team, um, make them a contender in the short term, in like the mid-2000s. You know, they get to an ALCS in 2006. Get to a World Series in 2012. You know, goes to Boston, is able to um, have success with the Red Sox. They win a World Series in 2018. For those type of teams, teams looking to make that immediate jump into being a contender, Dave Dombrowski's fine. But Dave Dombrowski does not make sense for this job right now and what the Phillies need. The Phillies need to be looking more long-term. And as usual, John Middleton just has the shortest view of anybody in the room. The complete opposite of, of you know, what the Sixers went through with the process and, and all that stuff with Sam Hinkie when you have got the long-term view. And in baseball, I think it's even more important. You must have a long-term view because you need to constantly – be bringing players up and restocking your farm system. Dave Dombrowski isn't the right guy 
for that job. And uh, one baseball person who I think is really good in terms of, of evaluating this stuff is a guy that Dave Dombrowski actually has some history with from down in in Florida. Uh, David Sampson, who used to be the Marlins team president, um, was actually the uh, I, uh, the stepson of the owner, Jeffrey Luria. Um, not, not to be confused with Jeffrey Lurie, but Jeffrey Luria, the former owner of the Florida Marlins. And Dombrowski was the GM there when uh, Samson was the president of baseball operations. Um, and here was David Sampson on why Dave Dumb- on Dave Dombrowski and whether he thinks this is a good fit in Philadelphia. What he's good at doing is being hired to be the president of baseball operations and then going ahead and spending a desperate owner's money. And make no mistake, John Middleton of the Philadelphia Phillies is desperate to win. He agreed to sign Bryce Harper. He traded for JT Realmuto. He signed Zach Wheeler. He signed Andrew McCutcheon. And guess what they have to show for it? Nada. They have as many World Series rings as you do, Jeremy. So the bottom line is that Dombrowski's being brought in, but the Phillies are not a good fit for Dombrowski, and I'm happy to tell you why if you want to know. Well, he, he's not. He's not the right fit for the Phillies because this isn't a team who's going to come out and spend a lot of money. There's already been – I mean, Dombrowski confirmed it in his press conference that they are going to be slashing payroll. You know, the Phillies are going to be cutting payroll. They're not looking to go out and spend a ton of money. And I know people see McCann signs with the Mets, and that gives them hope about JT Real Muto. I don't see JT Real Muto coming back here because I don't see John Middleton being willing to spend that kind of money. Here is more from David Sampson on why Dombrowski uh, is a, a bad fit in Philadelphia. He's not a good fit because the Phillies farm system is not in good condition right now. They did a rebuild that did not work. They spent a ton of money on payroll at the major league level, so they don't have a lot of flexibility, which means, as we believe, the owner is not willing to spend more money to cover some of the aforementioned mistakes, like signing Andrew McCutcheon, like having Bryce Harper for the next 11 years. So the only way that Dombrowski can add value is if he overpays for good players, gives them longer-term contracts than they deserve, and have a win-now attitude. What Philly needs is someone who can build a system and then reap the benefits and sow the fruit, if I could mix another metaphor maybe, of that (laughs) system and then sprinkle in some free agent signings and go on a sustained winning sort of track for a few years. That's what Philly needs to do, but they don't realize it because their owner's desperate, so they brought in a guy who's much more of a win-now cowboy, and I don't think that it's going to work at all. And it's just so frustrating. When you think about John Middleton and, you know, him coming out in his press conference and pretty much, you know, defending himself by saying, well, this organization's had issues for a really long time. It's not just me. It's been over 100 years. But then he comes out this offseason and does the same type of things that get the Phillies in this perpetual merry-go-round here where they are just so short-sighted all of the time. And look at the one time. The one time in Philly's history where they weren't short-sighted. The one time where they didn't go out and make moves at the deadline, selling their prospects to bring in that extra one or two arm in, arms in the bullpen. It was the early 2000s. A guy that took a ton of hate, heat 
in Ed Wade. But he kept Ryan Howard. He kept Chase Utley. He kept Jimmy Rollins. He kept Cole Hamels. He did not deal these players. And it was the one time the Phillies had a long-term view. And it paid off with the best five-year period in, in the history of the organization. But here goes John Middleton once again making the same mistakes that John Middleton always makes. The same mistakes that the Phillies organization always makes. Just a short-term approach where John Middleton knew he's taking heat in the media. He said, okay, well, I'm going to go hire a name. Dave Dombrowski is a name. But, you know, it doesn't make sense, as Samson said, with where the organization is, that this is the type of guy that you bring in. And here's more uh, from ES. This is ESPN's baseball uh, reporter, Jeff Passan. Um, here's Passan on his reaction to Nebraska coming to Philadelphia. Really interesting. If you're going to go and cut payroll, Dave Dombrowski is the last guy <laughs> that you would go out and hire. He's somebody who has a track record of going and spending money, whether it's with the Red Sox, whether it's with the Tigers and turning them into a big market club, and going and paying prospects to get really good and expensive players. He's also a guy who has a track record of winning World Series rings. And you hire Dave Dombrowski if you want to win right now. And the Phillies aren't in position to win right now. I know people don't want to hear that, but even if they bring JT Romito back, they're not in position to win right now. Does this team have a pitching staff that is capable of winning right now? If they bring back JT Romito, you think they're going to also spend a ton of money to improve this awful bullpen? No, we'll be seeing a lot of guys like Workman and Hembury and, and these guys from last year. So it just doesn't make sense. It's not the right hire. Um, nothing against Dave Dombrowski, but it, it's it's not a good move for the Philadelphia Phillies and John Middleton once again, with a short-term view to try to get some some praise and get people off his back in the short term instead of doing what he should have done, which was hire somebody who is going to build the farm system. Maybe you take your lumps for a couple years, but you'll be better for it in the future. The Phillies never think that way, and that's why they continue to find themselves in the same uh, disadvantageous situations that they've been in for years. And that'll do it for the show tonight. Thank you to Dan Wilson uh, producing the show. Uh, Dan's first uh, night uh, flying solo producing tonight. So thanks a lot to Dan for producing the show. I'm Tom Kelly. I will be back on uh, later on tonight. Well, tomorrow, I guess, technically. Uh, after Eagles Saints doing the overnight, filling in for Big Daddy. Once again, I'm picking the Eagles today. 24 to 20. I think they win. I think Jalen Hurts gives them a spark. I think the defense is able to do enough against Taysom Hill. And I think the Eagles win this game. And uh, boy, wouldn't that make things interesting. But we'll see. Uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.